Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. Welcome to episode 5-1. Nick, I think it's just become our thing. I say, I can't believe it. I can't believe we've made it to the next episode. Yeah. We we keep going and going and we haven't stopped yet. So we'll try to go for another 49 episodes and then reevaluate everything. How about that? Wow. No, we'll reevaluate after every episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, it's been a journey. It really has. And like, it's incredible to be doing this in the disc golf world. Uh, I regularly have people see me out and about at the disc golf courses and they give me the 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 love. I'll just say that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I agree 100%. Although I will say this. When I was out filming with Simon the other day, uh, you, can, you know how it is. You've been with him plenty of times. It's always the, oh my goodness, Simon Lazat is here. And like this one kid was literally shaking. And like we're filming and he comes up. He's like, Simon, like, like, is it okay if I get, you know, a picture with you? And I'm not making fun of him. I'm saying, like, Simon gets all yeah. the attention. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then out of, like, the 20 people that walk by while we're trying to film, one guy goes, hey, man, love your show. <laughs> and, and I love the he, he, he loves it because Simon's been on so many times, probably. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I said to Simon as we're walking down the hall, Simon, you know how many people actually, you know, said, like, Hey, Matt from the Nick and Matt show out of the 20 that you saw. He's like, I forget Simon comment. I forget how many you said. And I was like, one. He's like, oh, like, good. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, what'd you do this weekend, Nick, or this week? Uh, so this past week, I have recently started up actually all of my real estate stuff. I'm taking an online class right now. So I've been focusing a pretty decent amount of time on that and kind of getting used to sitting at a computer and kind of reading a PowerPoint, which to me was never Ooh. really my strong suit. So I'm kind of, I'm getting used to that again, but for the most part, I spent a lot of time doing that and casually played disc golf through the local leagues. And that was pretty much it. I had a pretty relaxing weekend. Actually, it was nice. I went to a winery, a wine festival and did some wine tasting. So that was pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big wine person, Every now and then, special I'm, occasion. I'm not either. I, some of the wines were okay. Some of the wines were horrible. And some of them were actually pretty good. But I'd never sit down and be like, you know what? I need a glass of wine right now. Do you, I, don't, I, I don't think I've ever been like do that. Do you like shake the glass, like get it around and then like sniff no, it a little I, bit? I, I, I would sniff it and then just take it like a shot. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not too classy. Okay. So guess what I did this weekend? I actually built a fort. Not the fort, not like, you know, pro worlds, but we built a fort in or started to in the backyard, the woods of our property. And I got stung by a bee right on the ankle, like the, you know, the ball of your ankle, <laughs> this yellow jacket. I say bee. All right. Hold on. Everyone's going to start commenting, Matt, it's not a bee. All right. It's not a bee. <laughs> it's a yellow jacket. It's a wasp or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It stung me right on the ankle, and I'm trying to be, like, a big, tough dad to my kids, and I'm like, ah, I got stung by a bee, but let's just keep going. <laughs> it's like swarms of bees. Anyways, I, I'm feeling a little exhausted. I got out to play around at Maple Hill. The changes nice. they've made to the white layout, you'll have to check out. I think it's actually, I like it. I like it. 
Yeah, I uh, I actually played it the last time I was in Mass, so I think back in May. And I played the new hole one, and then the new hole two. I was really bummed about, about hole six. I actually loved the old white hole six. And yeah, then, that's uh, an interesting I, change. I yeah, I don't remember too, too many. Is it, what is it now, golds to the white basket? Gold steep pad to the white basket? Yeah, it was I my first time. Was yeah, now. first time throwing it on Sunday. And I'm yeah. going to say yeah, yeah. I like playing a new hole. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I I'll have nostalgia. Yeah, I'll have nostalgia yeah. and miss the other one, I think. But yeah, I, I really liked the old hole. I thought that one was pretty good. So, um, yeah, played that. And by the way, that's pretty cool for me. Three generations. My dad now plays, which is it's just awesome that he got into it and he's into it. And he plays probably more than I do right now. <laughs> and yeah. I got out and then my son Hunter came out with us this time and Three generations, pretty cool. And my dad, shout out to my dad. I bet he's listening. I'm serious when I say this. You have improved. He is no longer, he's upset. This is the point when you know you've improved. He's yep. upset missing a putt from like 25 feet. He's upset. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's when you know you've made it. You're like, all right, all right. You're, you're addicted at that point. Yep. All right, cool. Nick, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We have an interview coming up, obviously, with Ben Askren and... We lined it up kind of last minute here, but Missy Gannon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, fortunately, she was able to message me back just about a few hours ago and say, look, whatever time you guys need me, I'm down. Whoa. So we texted her and it was, I think I said 805 Eastern. So she'll be on right around then. Awesome. So it'll be awesome. Yeah. For people driving around or at their shop, whatever they are, by the way, that was awesome when everyone started messaging us and they're like, Hey, here's, you know, when I'm listening to your show most often. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yep. pretty cool. Um, so, Nick, what happened this weekend? Did you see the drama of what, like, weather and all that, the Des Moines challenge? Yeah, I was going to say, we actually, this weekend was a very busy weekend in the disc golf world. But I guess biggest takeaway from it was the disc golf pro tour event, the Des Moines challenge was going on. And it was a very eventful weekend in the sense of weather. Whether it had a massive impact on how this tournament was played and how it was ran in the sense of, you know, we had to push back tee times or they had to push back tee times. They had to cancel a complete round for the women. And so there were a lot of takeaways from the event, but I think the biggest things we can shout out is congrats to two Discraft Elite team members, Paul Macbeth and Missy Gannon on their victories. Paul was able to win by two over Calvin Heimberg and then Missy was able to win by one over Jessica Weiss, but Matt, I'll let you talk a little bit more on the stats provided by Stat Mando. Shout out to Stat Mando. We are developing, I'll put it that way, we're developing our relationship with Stat Mando and they're going places and we want to be part of that. So definitely go check out statmando.com. I found myself today um, visiting statmando.com, punching in two names. They've got more coming. But go check it out. The things that are coming are pretty cool. Um, in fact, they're going to let you, the individual create your own ranking system. So like this is not there yet, but it's coming. So right now, what do you do? You go to UDISC, you hit, Hey, I want to see the ranked players. And I sit there being skeptical going, well, Steve Dodge over at DG rankings has his ranking system. And Paul was already number one, but you didn't have him number one. And then like mm -hmm. you go over to this other ranking system and this ranking system, so everybody has a way that they think it should be done. It's coming to statmando.com where you are going to put in your parameters and say, based off of these parameters and the ones that I think matter, who's the best players in the world? 
that's really cool. So yeah, shout out to Stat Mando. Um, lots of cool things coming from them. But to the stats mm-hmm. themselves, um, Paul was not very good in, I think it was round, eh, it was a mixture of the end of round one, round two, where he was missing putts significantly. In fact, mm-hmm. to the number of 80, he was only hitting 81%. I know it sounds like a lot, but that was 58th in the field. Yeah. Uh, putting came clutch in the final round, but as far as like overall, yeah, 58th. It was not on fire. He did it when he needed to, but there was a battle down the stretch with Gavin Rathbun and Calvin just turning on fire like he's known to do. Yep, yep. By the yeah, way, surprisingly, I mean, go ahead. I would say, by the way, just to throw it out there, I know Calvin won that silver series. And so I technically lost that hot take altogether. But when I said he wouldn't win from here on out, is it just going to keep happening where he doesn't do enough like mid round to win it like Calvin? Because honestly, he usually does enough in the last round. But if he could, mm-hmm. you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like he's putting on yeah. a great show, but just not enough. No, I totally agree with that. I feel like when Calvin's really on fire, he is obviously for all three rounds. And then we notice Calvin's name a lot in that final round, in that final push, especially in an event like this where Eagle or Ricky was not at the event. So you look at Gavin Rathbun, who we've heard about a couple of times uh, this year, uh, Ben Callaway, we've talked about Raven Newsome. This is kind of the first time that we've really been talking about him on the podcast. But for the most part, it was the Paul and Calvin show. And once again, that final round, uh, Calvin had a few holes. He was a few holes ahead of Paul, but we saw him making every single move correctly. Um, just up, up, up until about the last three holes, that's when Paul could kind of get one or two more birdies and he would solidify the win. But yeah, I think Calvin's issue right now is just putting it together all three rounds or all four rounds or even all five rounds like at Worlds. I yeah, that's that's his biggest takeaway right now. And looking at, you know, we have on Stat Mando's sheet, they sent us, we have the first place, second place, third place, two tied for fourths, and the tied for eighth. That being Paul McBeth, Calvin Heinberg, Gavin Rathbun, Raven Newsom, Ben Calloway, and James Conrad. And none of them, out of those, you know, six players that I'm talking about, were ranked in the top ten in putting this last weekend. So I guess the biggest takeaway that I would say is that players drives off the tee, mm-hmm. I think were definitely the most um, substantial throughout this event. And then obviously upshots and everything like that, being able to get into circle two and circle one in regulation, Paul was first place in both of those. He was also first place in the scramble percentage. And I think one of the biggest, uh, things about that was on hole 17 of the final round, Paul was able to have a really, really good scramble, save his par. And, um, that I would say kind of like solidified the victory part, you know, barring he doesn't mess up on hole 18, but uh, yeah, this weekend for these players, their putting from Circle 1X was none of the six players that I listed putted over 90% from Circle 1. Circle 2, we had a couple good players, uh, Gavin, Raven, and James Conrad, all throwing over 50% from Circle 2 putting. But Circle 1, definitely not not the thing to talk about this weekend. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're right. It was the T to green stat that mattered. Mm -hmm. Could you get there to give yourself a chance for birdie? That's what mattered. You could miss the putt. Apparently, (laughs) at least in this tournament, you could miss the putt. Exactly. But you had to at least be there to give yourself that drop in par. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. um, that I want to talk for two, two things real quick. Go back to what I said. Calvin Heimberg. 
I want to be very clear. It was a very bad take that I had. Like my hot take that he wouldn't yes. win. Like it's bad. And like reflecting on it, it's like, why would I ever say that? It was just a gut feeling. However, at this point, he's kind of, I don't know. I think he's still going to win one, but it's kind of come to expect now. Like, is he going to? And then secondly here, James Conrad, following the worlds. Um, obviously, you give him like slack the first event back. And just because you win worlds doesn't mean you're going to win on out. That's not what a world championship does. Yeah. It's not like, oh, yeah. my goodness. In fact, this is the interesting part about worlds. And we said this. It's not. Oh my goodness, James Conrad, the best player in the world. That's not what a world title is. A world title is exactly what I just said, a world title. You just won at an event where they give out world titles. So it's yeah. not weird to see James playing where he was playing leading up to worlds in the top 10. Like that's normal for James. Um, so I think, you know, he's got an opportunity to continue to represent his game well. In fact, they just came out with a, a disc from his lineup called the nomad it's kind of perfect yeah I, I was kind of reading about that a little bit today i think that was something that we talked about a lot of people were skeptical in james's switch over to mvp saying that he only switched because now he's going to come out with his whole new molds and what's wrong with the molds that are already in that lineup and i think that's kind of one thing that a lot of professional players are going to do is start designing discs that they feel would suit them and also suit the public so i'm actually really curious and happy for james obviously that this part of his contract is coming into fruition. And I think the nomad is, you know, a cool name, especially for someone like him. And I'm, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. So you already said this, but over on the FPO side, yes, Missy Gannon took it down. Now here's a great stat. Again, shout out to stat Mando. They look these things up and guess what? I'm going to consider them at this point, our stat department. When we have something we want to look up, we shoot a text over, they go find it out for us, or they listen in on the show without us even asking directly yeah. and get it back to us. Follow them at StatMando on Twitter, or again, visit them on their website. But they got us this stat from Missy Gannon. This is pretty cool. She has never won an event that Jessica Weiss was at, Paige Pierce was at, Kristen Tatar was at, or Katrina Allen was at, or Sarah Hokum was at. She has mm -hmm. never won an event that those players were at. She did it at this one. It was her first elite series ever. And what a time to do it. I mean, she could have beat with that stat. She could have been at a silver series that Sarah Hokum was at and mm -hmm. won. But no, she hasn't. She's never beat Weiss, Pierce, Tatar, Allen, or Hokum. Now she's beat them. She's outperformed them, but she's never yep. won. She's never won an event that they were at. Exactly. So that's pretty cool. And then um, and the way that that happened, honestly, if you watch how it played out, they had their second round cut. Like, hey, you're not doing it. The weather's too crazy. Yeah. Which I don't know how they feel about that. I'm sure they miss it. <laughs> Missy, <laughs> miss it. <laughs> yeah. But um, so they just jumped literally to the final round, which was like a day in between of weirdness and came out swinging. Paige, Missy, and Weiss, all sitting, I believe, tied at a minus three going into the final round. Mm -hmm. Gannon started out pretty good, just enough to get a stroke or two lead, and then kind of held on to that pretty much the whole round. Um, coming into the last hole, as everyone watched it, she was up one stroke into the last hole, and Weiss was just attacking as hard as she could, trying to set herself up for birdie. And the way it went down is, uh, Missy set herself up for par, and 
Weiss set herself up for birdie and did it, like sparked it for birdie. And Missy mm-hmm. had to hit like a 25, maybe more, 25 footer to secure the victory. That is 25 feet to secure your first elite series. What do you think you're going to feel like, Nick? Oh my God. I mean, I'm sure the nerves were massive, especially on that final putt. And I actually watched the video a couple of times today of her jamming it. And she did it just perfectly right over the basket, a little on the right-hand side. And uh, it just looked like a very confident putt. And we've talked so many times, even last time we had Missy on the show, we've talked multiple times on how Missy is one of the better putters for the FPO division on the road. And for her to actually be able to clutch up in that moment, uh, we're seeing a lot of good things out of a lot of great players in the last few weeks, especially when it comes down to these clutch moments. Yeah. And I also want to add to the conversation of the FPO, which why, by the way, there's a whole conversation that we will talk about later, probably <laughs> sit tight. We got interviews and all that, but to discuss Paige Pierce, eh? is this like major heartbreak at worlds leading to a, you know, post worlds, as we talked about last week's slump. Mm-hmm. Is that what this mm-hmm. is? Uh, on my other show that I record with, that was kind of the conversation. I said, listen, it could go t- one of two ways. <laughs> and no one likes a guy who take, makes a take like that, says one of two ways. No, exactly. But, yeah. but I think it was founded in saying her mental game coming into the season was shaky. And something like this could cause her to shake. But I said this, and, and I'll say the take here on the Nick and Matt show too. If it's going to happen, I said it's going to be the first event back from Worlds. And it was. Mm-hmm. I think... Mm-hmm. I think, and I'm still holding to my take, that she's going to win out. So we'll see. Um, but we'll talk about that after. Um, and then realistically, it was good to see Tatar up there. But I want to mm-hmm. finalize the FPO talk by saying, Nick, last week, what did we talk about Weiss? Do you remember our conversation last week about Weiss? Yeah, we did. We talked <laughs> about uh, she's obviously a great player. She has a great backhand and a good for, or a great forehand as well. It was always her putting that was kind of her... I would say kryptonite, kind of her crippling aspect in her game. And looking at our stat Mando, she she was seventh place in circle one X putting at 75%. So I feel like, I don't know the exact stats, but I feel like that's a massive improvement on how she's been playing throughout this whole year. And obviously when we can putt well, she's going to play well, she's going to score well, and she's in contention. She obviously walked away with the podium finish at second place this last event and made an incredible, incredible final hole birdieing it to force Missy to play the way that she did. So, I mean, kudos to Jess. If that putting keeps up, if she works on the circle two putting just a little bit, she was zero for 10. Who knows exactly how far away those putts were. Um, But yeah, putting definitely was better for her this last event. Yeah. The only people putting in circle two putts was Paige Pierce, like Kristen and Katrina, as far as like the top four or five go. Everyone else was missing, including Missy, which is a little Mm -hmm. bit surprising. But I think what it shows is she was getting her putts. Majority of her throws were making it to circle one because Mm -hmm. she only took six. Missy Gannon only took six uh, circle two putt bids. That's it. Mm -hmm. The whole tournament. So she's, as you said, T to green, the most important here. And that's what Jessica Weiss. That's why she, with her low putting average, she was shining because she was, playing four strokes better than everybody on tee to mm-hmm. green. Uh, mm-hmm. And by the way, when I watch her play, um, it stands out to me. I'm like, she is throwing strong, like legitimately strong. I even told Hunter, my son, I said, watch how she's throwing. She's really controlled with good power. So, yeah. 
something no, to I be agree learned. 100%. Something to be learned from her. And then as we wrap up all the competition talk, I want to say one final shout out here for this show, probably uh, to Stat Mando, because last week, Nick, what did you bring up? It was a, just real quick. Post Worlds, yeah. you had a question about something, and they went and found I, I was, it out for us. Yeah, I was curious how players have done in the past after winning or doing well, but obviously winning the world championships. And I, I kind of called it like a world's hangover. How are players going to compete after winning worlds? And luckily, Statmando being an incredible group of people helping us out, they actually did look up these stats. And I kind of want to just briefly go over them really quick. But uh, obviously in Ogden, Utah, James Conrad won. Uh, and then his next event was the Minnesota Majestic, and he placed 12th at that event. Paul Macbeth, on the other hand, winning the 2019 World Championships in Peoria, had placed first at the MVP Open, which is a disc, craft pro, uh, disc golf pro tour right after. How about we do this, um, Nick? Tell us how many in a row Paul Macbeth has won following Worlds. Seven. Paul Macbeth has won <laughs> seven, yeah, seven in a row following the World Championships. And so now go down the list and tell us how everybody else is done. So skip Paul and just tell us how everyone else is done. Let's see. So comrade, obviously 12th, um, Greg Barsby placed 19th at the Delaware disc golf challenge. Ricky Wysocki placed first at the Skef It's a European event. I'm not even going to try butchering the name. And then he placed 12th in 2016 at the Ledgestone insurance open. Uh, and then Paul's got a couple first places in there, <laughs> obviously second places. It's funny because the first year, let's see, 2013, right afterwards, Paul went and played the Greater Hartford Open in Connecticut, which is a phenomenal disc golf tournament. Um, and it was funny because Bobby Copperthwaite, one of the kind of local guys around there, was able to take down Paul at that event. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's the claim to fame, if you will. He's like, look at that stat. He's like, I'm the one who kind of yeah. butchered the start of that. But, but the reality is we already said killer. it. I think Paul Macbeth, I think it's nine years or 10 years where he's either taken first or second at Worlds. Mm -hmm. And then the next event back, he's now seven in a row one. So I think they said this on DGN during the live broadcast. He or his buddy, Nate Sexton, he's peaking at the right time. Like, that's what he does. He trains mm -hmm. the world titles, what really, really matters. And then he peaks there. Mm -hmm. So I expect strong performances out of Paul the rest of the way out. Yep. Not that he's performed poorly. But this was his first DGPT Elite Series. He has one NT, and then he had mm -hmm. the Memorial. This and this is, this is the kind of time of the year that, we, like you said, we really see Paul turn it on. Every single event from here on out, Paul has won in the past previously. MVP Open happening later in September. The GMC Open happening in September. Um, we got Ledgestone coming up. I think the next massive Elite Series event is the Great Lakes Open which Paul obviously has the famous 18 down at it and then won it in 2019 as well. I think Eagle had won it last year, but Ida Wild's coming up. Like all these events, Paul has done extremely well at. So this is that kind of time of the year where we do see Paul exceed in multiple ways. Okay, so there's like six events left, at least as far as like the Elite Series. Actually, I think that's including Silver Series. Okay, so I think that was seven mm -hmm. yesterday with Des Moines, but now there's six left, I think. How many mm -hmm. just... You ready? I'm putting you on the spot. Your take on if Paul will win any of the rest of the six. I think he'll win at least two more. Okay. Let's hold, say at least. Let's hold Nick I to reason, it. The reason I say <laughs> that is he's a back-to-back -back winner at the MVP Open. He's always done pretty well at GMC. Um, 
the other courses, I think Deglo suits very well for Eagle. Obviously, he dominated it last year. Um, it suits well for Ricky. Ida Wild suits well for any player that can win in the woods. And then Eagle actually won that event as well. So I think those events will be a little bit harder, but also Ledgestone, which Paul has done extremely well at. Obviously, won Worlds at that tournament. Ricky has won Ledgestone in 2019 as well. So uh, I, I would say at least two more. And then I think at best four, but I want to say like, if I had to put a number on it, I think he'd win two more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> Never mind. Uh, I'm just laughing at the chat tonight. You're going to say he's going to win zero. No, I'm just laughing at the chat tonight, which um, if you're not a part of the live shows, everybody, it's a good time to hang out and maybe listen to us. Cause you get more entertainment <laughs> than Nick and Matt just bring yeah. to the audio side of it. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think that's a fair topic. And then, so I already mentioned Paige as far as her performance. So let's just wrap up these next five minutes or so here. Um, maybe talking a little bit more about these takes on who we think will win and who won't. I think, here, here's how it went down. I think it was after U.S. Women's, I said, more or less, she's going to win out. Or I, I said... You're no, talking about Paige? Yeah, Paige Pierce. I don't know if actually I did say win out. I said like 80%. I was like, she's going to win at least 80%, which is going to be dominant. That's, in, that's very dominant. If we said Paul was going to win 80% of the rest of the events, that's really dominant. Yeah, so I, I said she that. was going to be dominant. But here's the thing. Following her last win, she went to Worlds and lost. Obviously, heartbreak. Then she goes to Des Moines, loses. And now we have eight different FPO winners this year. Eight. That is absolutely... That's something we have not seen or known for a long time. Eight. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, if I say eight again, it'll bother some people. But here's who the winners were. Paige Pierce, obviously. Kona Star, Panis, Haley King, Katrina Allen, Sarah Hokum, Heather Young, Lisa Fakus, Missy Gannon. It's a little bit unreal Insane. and exciting. Yeah. So, oh, God, yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say is Paige already just lost her two events where I said 80% when she came back after U.S. Women's, and she just lost those two. So for my stat to hold up, my take, she has to win them all out from here on out. Do I stand by that right now? Man, I know she can, but I think it's a little bit too hot of a take now. I I'm going to say she loses one more in between now and then, but yeah. I I'll roll the dice on what I said originally. I just think it's too hot. Mm-hmm. What do you think? She's going to win, win out? It's too tough now? No, I don't, I don't think she'll win out. I definitely think she will obviously do well. I'm just looking up actually what events that she's playing in to see. Give me one second. So she is playing Great Lakes Open, the Preserve, Ledgestone, Idlewild. So pretty much all the big events. We'll talk about those. Um I think she has an advantage at some of those events like Ledgestone, the preserve, I think for distance wise at the preserve, it's going to help her out even the great lakes open. Uh, but I, she won't win out. Like I think she'll win at least two more. Um, I would, I'd actually bet that she wins at least three of her next, let's see, would seven events that seven. she signed up yeah. for. Yep. Yeah. So there's seven events. I bet you she wins at least three of those. Um, I think she does have this kind of like fire lit under her. And I think now with the pressure of worlds is done, this is obviously the tournament after worlds. It's always pretty tough for people. Um, and then also the documentary thing is over. Once that comes out, I think a lot of weight is going to be lifted off her shoulders. I think we'll start to see that dominant page again. 
Um, an MVP open, I almost count that as an automatic win because she's won that event so many times. And uh, so I, that's, I would say, at least one of them. All but, right. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think she'd, she'll win at least three. <laughs> there you go, three. Uh, I just know, here's the, here's the part about Paige Pierce is that you know she can win every single event. Like, no doubt about it. Now, you could say, well, that's true for anybody in the top 20 of any, you know, pro pro event. But, like, I mean that, like, stronger. It's, yeah, exactly. You're saying that when you say that about people, you could say, like, look, Ricky Wysocki could win every single event from here on out. Paul Macbeth could win every single event. Paige Pierce is probably the one female in the world that we would say she could literally win every single event here on out. Katrina could win a lot of them. I think Haley could also do the same. But if there's a player that we're looking at in the female division, Paige Pierce is the only one who I would say, look, she technically could go out and win the next seven events. And I think she could do it in a dominant fashion. This but year, though, this year, Kat. This year is different. Is, yeah, so Kat year, is pretty. Completely different. Kat is demonstrating a significant. I don't want to use the word dominance quite, but she's demonstrating something this year that we haven't seen in previous years the same level where she's she, putting well she's stepping Obviously she's yeah she's stepping up and actually head to head against Paige pierce winning now mm -hmm. so i would almost give her that we could see cat do it too i don't think it's as likely but she has the ability to do that but yeah. the, the the thing is it used to be if somebody else won and Paige was there something was wrong with Paige, and i'm yep. not I do not want to take away from Missy Gannon's win, but both Kat and Paige were there. Do I think that they were both performing at their highest level? Uh, my answer is Paige definitely was not playing at her highest level. Was she trying? Mm -hmm. It looked like it, but part of it looked like she wasn't mentally engaged, almost like, eh, like, this doesn't quite matter. Kind of rushing things a little bit, it seemed to me mm -hmm. as a fan, somebody watching to, you know, speculate and, and just, that's where I'm at with her. I don't know. I think yeah, she's going to step I up. Totally get it. I think she's going to step yeah. up and I think she will perform well. So, all right. We've made it to that point in the show where we're going to jump into, we've got, uh, Ben Askren, <laughs> Ben Askren, everybody. So let's go ahead and get him in the interview. But before we do that, before we bring in Ben Askren, Nick's microphone, this was a pre-recorded segment, and Nick's microphone, absolute garbage, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was. And even at this moment, I just lost him for the recording. So that's okay, because we're going to jump into... We're going to jump into the segment here with Ben Askren. All right. So Nick's back and he wants to tell you about his garbage microphone real quick. <laughs> okay. Really quick. Sorry. I just froze up for a little bit. I don't know why that's actually been happening to Matt and I recently as we've been doing a lot of testing, but uh, I want to apologize for some odd reason. When we did this <laughs> recording with Ben, uh, my microphone was all sorts of funky. So I would advise people to turn your volume down just a little bit. Cause I'm going to sound extra loud and I'm going to sound more staticky than normal. Uh, Matt and I were hoping we fixed it for this episode at least, but uh, for the recording you're about to hear, cause we did pre-record this for some odd reason, my microphone sucked and I, I'm not a tech guy. So I probably flipped something on the soundboard by accident. But uh, anyways, uh, here's Ben Askren. Ben, <laughs> yeah. Ben Askren, everybody let's, let's get him in. Here we go. All right, everybody look at this. We have, 
Ben Askren on the show. What an awesome privilege it is to have that. Nick, uh, have you ever hung out with Ben before? I have not. I've not had the pleasure yet to hang out, hang out with Ben, but Brody and Paul are obviously very good friends with him, so I've heard a lot about him. Awesome. All right, Ben, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, having a great day and uh, ready for this disc golf tournament. Oh, yeah. That's probably why we had you on the show, but there's a few other reasons. We're going to bring back a segment that has been a fan favorite for so long. And Ben, I don't think you've seen our show before, so you probably don't know what's no. coming. Okay. Surprise me. Surprise you. <laughs> Here we go. Judge that disc golfer. The game show where you judge a disc golfer you've never met. All right. Judge that disc golfer is back, everybody. And today, our judge disc golfer is none other than... Yep, there he is, Ben Askren. So, Ben. Hey, oh. Yeah. Awesome. So, we're going to get to know your disc golf game just a little bit. So, can okay. I ask a few questions? How long have you been playing disc golf for? Wait, is this, am I supposed to write these answers down? No, these ones later? were just getting to know you a little bit, so later. we have an advantage. Um, sure. So, I started in 2002. I think we were, uh, I had an AP, couple AP classes. And then when they were done, you know, you like don't really have to go to them because there's nothing more to teach. Uh, yet there's still like a month of high school left. And so, uh, me and my friend would skip and play, uh, disc golf at Valley View Park, New Berlin, Wisconsin. And then I don't think I played for a little while then, because when I was, when I was my first year of college, I didn't have a car, uh, but some other guys played. So maybe I played a couple times. And then the year after that, when I got my car at college, I really started playing a lot in Columbia, Missouri, and then just kind of got hooked from there. And then I think my first tournament was probably 2005 i would say played my first amateur worlds in 2006 so uh been around i got two six six one two that's my pdga number very low number mm -hmm. it's absolutely it's almost like he does know this segment those were almost all the rest of the questions we we're going to ask your, P <laughs> yep. your yep. pdga number you've competed um what's your best finish absolutely. at a tournament uh any, any tournament you want just pick a tournament. what's your yeah. best finish well so i mean the big ones i took second am nationals uh uh, at on toboggan uh that was 2011 i was making a run on the leader i really had a great third round came back on him i put the put the last shot into anheuser into the tree and it turned it over a little bit too early not good lost there um and then i took ninth of the amateur worlds twice in 2009 2011 so 2009 i kind of played out of my ass um probably significantly better than i was and um 2011 I, I really thought i had the opportunity to win and I, I just didn't play all that well that was in rochester new york this is where we get into asking ben questions and the questions are going to be something he's going to write down and nick nick and i are going to try to guess what he's going to answer so with that in mind the very first question and we won't elaborate too much for you we're just going to ask it plain and simple here we go how far can you throw a disc so go ahead and write that answer down nick uh, what do you think here? Second at Am Nationals, 11th at Worlds. Think, like, what do you think? I'm going to go 425 feet. 425. Now, I hope he already wrote. Yeah, it looks like he already wrote it down. I so. wrote it down. I wrote it down. Yep. All right. I'm going to say that he's going to say something closer. And this is closest, not without going over. It's just closest. So, Nick, you said 425? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to go with 375. All right. So, what's your answer there, Ben? All right. So... I, I was uh, assuming that you meant 
um, today. Like if I went out there on a football field <laughs> and threw it right now, I was assuming that's what you meant. Not like in my in my prime time or whatever. Well, give it, so, give us both answers. No, okay. no. So it, the longest I ever threw in a distance competition was 489 feet, and that was at the Memorial in 20, I think also 2011. So I don't think I could throw that far anymore. And so the number I wrote down was 420 feet. Come Ooh. on. Yeah. There we go. Come on. Now there's a there's a long standing history with this game show where Nick loses almost every time. But yeah. he's got a point. He's well, right now I'm, I'm one for one. <laughs> All right. That's pretty good, man. Uh, throwing over 400 feet. I don't care who you are. That's far. All right. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Question number two. Uh, you said you've played in some competitions. You've played for quite a while. You've played for almost 20 years now. If you had to choose weather conditions and they had to be unfavorable for a tournament, are you going to choose snowy, meaning like a couple inches on the ground and it's still snowing, rainy, significance where you, it's hard to stay dry even with an umbrella or really windy so 20 miles an hour plus you had to choose one of those for your tournament experience which weather condition are you going with all right nick uh i think you started first last time i'm gonna yep, he's up there in uh wisconsin and we know it's snowy um but i don't i personally don't feel like many people like rain but I'm trying to think him out. I'm trying to feel him out here. He's got his home course. He's not going to go out on a rainy day on his home course. Maybe snowy. When, I, I'm going to go with snow. I'm choosing snow just because of where he's from. All right. I'll, I'll take the windy. All right. So, Ben, what did you choose? Okay. Well, so I would have, if it was a trick question, I would have chosen all of them. Um, <laughs> and I always thought when I was competing because of my background in wrestling, mixed martial arts, that I was just mentally tougher than all the other disc golfers. Some, some of them are real soft, soft, like Charmin. And so, you know, some bad conditions gets in their head, they play worse. And so, you know, if you don't have to pay, play your best in the bad conditions. You just have to play better than other people are playing. Exactly. And that's kind of how I thought of it. So I think of all those listed, the toughest one to play in is wind because there's a lot to understand. Is it a side wind? Is it a headwind? Is it a backwind? What discs do you throw according to that? How do you use the wind for your advantage? And I thought I had a relatively good understanding on that. And some people, it just gets in their head and they play like crap. So I chose Wendy. Man. Two for two. How? <laughs> <laughs> this is un- You guys talk. Nick, you have his yep. telephone number. You must have sent him uh, all the questions. Yeah, right. we've, we've, we've been texting okay. back and forth the last 24 hours. <laughs> right there. <laughs> all right. So coming into question number three here. Do you have, this is getting personal. Do you have any, dis- uh, any tattoos? Uh, just should I write this down or no, this... no, no, just, just out of curiosity. This one's just broad. I have two, I have, I have a wedding ring, uh, right there. And then I have a smiley face on my right foot. Okay. So that gives me a little insight here because this question is okay. related to tattoos. If you were to get a disc golf related tattoo, it has to be disc golf related and you're going to go get it. Is it going to be a single basket, just standalone basket, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a doink putt, meaning a putter hitting the front rim, like doink, like I missed my putt. Uh, a Tasmanian devil spinning and throwing a three, 360 drive. Okay. Or a cool disc golf phrase, kind of like grip it or rip it or something like death putt. So it's going to be like one of those if you had to choose. All right, Nick, you get to start off on this one. But well, he's I'm gonna wait. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to wait for him to write down. I got to figure out how long he's writing his answer. All right. All right. I got my answer. I'm, I'm going to go with the doink butt. 
Okay, he went with the doink putt. Um, the smiley face, the simple wedding ring. Uh, I've got to go with, I'm, I'm going on the opposite of that. I'm going with the Tasmanian devil. All right, what do you got, Ben? Okay, so uh, you guys both lose. <sighs> if, if, I, if I would have gotten a tattoo because it is golf, it would have been significantly younger in my life. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm not old enough, old and wise. I'm not getting this golf tattoo anymore. But if I would have got one, it would have been Chicks Dig My Heiser. That was, that was hilarious. I got a mean Heiser, too. Decent, decent. Uh, we had a guy say he would get the tattoo, like grip it and rip it on his throat or something. And we're like, what the? Oh, my God. Yeah. Here's, here's a weird one. Okay. So here we go. So it's two to zero. I would have to win some bonus points here to catch up. Um, here we go. From Circle's Edge, we give you a stack of 10 putters. Circle's Edge being 10 meters, as you would know. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, 10 putters, you have to putt them all from Circle's Edge. No jump putting, no fall putting. Just stand still. How many are going in out of those 10? Um, How windy is it? Oh, calm. We're gonna, regular yeah, day. Calm, regular day. It, it could be inside yeah. if you want to. All right. And I'm assuming it's today also. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yep. Today. Sure. Perfect. Okay. All right. He steps up to the line. I'm envisioning it now. Yep. I'm envisioning this go down. Um, is this mine to start out with, Nick? Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, I feel like this is a game of odds on, like, what is he going to answer? It's going to be somewhere. If I say six, Nick's going to say seven. If I say I'm gonna, I gotta go with I gotta go with seven. I feel like it's a little high. I think you said six. But I'm going I'm, with seven. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with six. Of course you are. <laughs> six. Yeah, I think in my prime I would have made a couple more seven or eight, maybe maybe even up to nine. But then that, that's yep. pushing it right now. Uh, you know what? Actually, today I I, I played around. So I'm playing around every day, getting ready for the tournament. Mm -hmm. I played I played like dog shit today. But yesterday. I was on fire. I couldn't miss yesterday. I was I was draining them all. So the answer there was six. Six. Oh, I should have went with my gut. Although I was feeling yep. what happened yesterday during your practice. You said you were hitting <laughs> all fire. So okay. Exactly. And then I made I was making everything yesterday. So Nick, you got three to zero. But just so we can tie things up here, this is worth three points. This last one. You ready? If yep. I get it exactly right, if I get it exactly right, then I get the three points. No closest to deal here. So. In all of your almost 20 years of disc golf, Ben, mm -hmm. how many aces do you have? Now, however you want to classify those, but typically it's first throw, throwing around into a basket, not practice. So how many aces do you have? All right, Nick, you get to start this one. Uh, I'll say, because he's got his own home course, I'm going to say 12. Okay, and for and for bonus points on bonus points, Nick, how many happen at his home course? Eleven. <laughs> uh, I feel like maybe he's not keeping track after all these years. That's kind of where my brain's going. Yeah. Um, but I have to get it exactly right. I'm just gonna. I don't know. I feel like I, I'm just gonna say nine. I could be way wrong. I'm just trying to pick a number here. What do you got, Ben? Okay, so in my early years, I wanted to play, my goal is 750 disc golf courses before I turned the age of 30, and I did it at 30 years and one day old, hmm. uh, so I almost got it, um, and I also on that document kept track of the amount of aces I got, so the day I got them, the course, the whole, all of that stuff. Um, after the age of 30, I 
probably have played another 20 courses. Like I just don't travel and play like I, I used to. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that exact number. I have 21 aces, oh, only two of which are on my home course. I also do have a kid's course that I built for my kids. I don't count those as real hole-in-ones because yep. they're yeah, like yeah. 140 feet maximum. So I, I have a hole, uh, ace on my pine tree hole, which is uh, it's like lined by pine trees, nice and straight. It's not very long. Mm -hmm. And then there's another hole. It's a blind hyzer. But really, it's a really steep hill you got to go up. And I, I crashed the change on that one and put it in. So I only have two aces on my home course. Gotcha. All right, Nick. Yeah. Well, sorry, man. I, I guess a I basket yesterday. Uh, I have on the island hole now. I have this Yeti, and uh, I did not get my island hole ace yet. And I skipped off the rim and dinged the Yeti, and it did not go in. I was so annoyed because I was like oh, no. right on top of it. Yep. Yep. All right. So Nick, apparently I owe you lunch, and I'm sure that made the fans very yeah, you happy. You got killed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's end this one out yeah, today. Yeah. Judge that disc golfer, the game show where you judge a disc golfer you've never met. All right, congratulations, Nick. That was awesome. We have not done judge that disc golfer in a little while. I don't think I was gonna run across Ben at the disc golf course today, so I figured we'd just do it live with Ben here today, so. Might, might as well. All right, let's get into the deep stuff, man. So you're someone who, as Nick said, I've competed against you before, and if I just go out on a limb and say, hey, I've competed against Ben Asker, and everyone thinks yeah. wrestling, fighting, something along those lines, but we have a significant <laughs> main lead disc golf audience. That's what our show is. So some yep. people do not know what your greatest achievements are. You might have a whole bunch, but what are some of your shining star moments that you like to talk about for your uh, wrestling and fighting career? So it's not in this. I don't get to list my disc golf achievements. You already did that. You already <laughs> did that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I took, uh, I was two time state champion, uh, two time NCAA champion, two time Hodge winner, which is the best college wrestler, 2008 Olympian, uh, and then division champion in Bellator, uh, welterweight, and then one championship. Uh, I retired in 2017. I came back and I went one and two in the UFC uh, and retired again. So uh, I was undefeated for almost a decade. I finished my career 19 and two. Wow. Yeah. Sig significant. Um, so you've been doing that. I think someone said recently, and or actually it was probably you that said it, but it's kids getting around. Are you done with your wrestling and fighting career? What's your involvement with yeah. that? I mean, I've been trying to be done for a while, but they keep they keep pulling me back in for other <laughs> shenanigans. Um, I, yeah, I think I'm done. Uh, I have no intentions of fighting or or any type of thing. You know, I, I get in the gym and I wrestle with the guys that I coach because my brother and I own five wrestling academies, and that's enjoyable. I like staying in shape. I, I would love to have the time to disc golf again, um, and you know, maybe professionally, like. I actually get jealous of uh, Brody, you know, because he's someone who is not a professional disc golfer. And he went and said, hey, I'm going to go be a professional disc golfer. And he's actually like doing it and traveling around. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my wife and I have fond memories. In 2011, I think, was probably my most active year I played in, I want to say, five or six tournaments. Um, and, we, you know, we always just had a good time going to the tournaments and walking around and playing the round and that type of stuff. So I, I do miss it. I miss that for sure. Can I ask, and I'm going to let Nick get a question in here, but I'm thinking back to 2011 Am Worlds. That, again. I played at it and I remember was that your was your was that your wife at the time the girlfriend uh, or wife or yeah yeah we got we got married in uh, April of 2011 so we'd have we would have just been married actually and in 2011 I convinced her for our honeymoon so I was fighting in the Bellator <laughs> tournament so we had, I had to fight in April May and June I actually fought six days after my wedding and I said well you'll know, we'll put the honeymoon off 
We did a three-week honeymoon, but one of the weeks I got to go disc golfing as much as I wanted in Ohio, and then I played in the Hamburg Memorial, I think, for part of my nice. life. Yeah. I, I, I brought go. that up about your wife because I remember people being like, oh, he has that girl, whether it was your girlfriend or your wife at the time, and there is a distraction, so that way he can gain some strokes <laughs> on the field. <laughs> oh, that's great. She'll be flattered. I'm going to tell her. Yeah, so, okay, <laughs> that's, that's perfect. So, Nick, what do you got? Well, I say, so we've kind of just doing the judge at disc golf where we kind of got into a little bit of your backstory when it comes to disc golf, how you got into it. You've been playing since 2005. So I guess I'll kind of go into more mainstream disc golf. What were you doing when the shot happened during the world championships? I was sitting in my house. There you um, go. Yeah. So, uh, um, let's see what did I do? I think I had a wrestling camp that day and this obviously was the last day of worlds. And I came home, and I think they are on, on, like, hole eight or something to that effect. Um, and I said, oh, shoot, we need to sit down and watch that. And so my wife got to know Paul because he's been here a couple times. <laughs> so we were watching, and it was – I mean, it was an awesome round. Paul was on fire. Um, uh, earlier in the round, you know, there was, like, six or seven guys with it within a couple strokes. And then <laughs> him and Conrad kind of put themselves, you know, way out in front. And then, you know, on the last hole, I, I – you know, he had a great tee shot – and Conrad had a not great tee shot. I said, oh, it's, it's over, you know? And then Conrad's got to kind of lay up. And then, you know, Paul, now obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. He probably should have went for it on that second shot and he could have made a three potentially. You yep. can't go just, I mean, he made the right choice, right? Exactly. For, for where everything was at, at the time. That's the, the only choice you got to make. Mm -hmm. um, and then <laughs> my wife said, what if he makes it? I said, dude, he's 270 feet away. He ain't going to make it. Come on. And then he makes it. She's like, see, I told you you could make it. And I'm like, oh, God. That was like, you know, how many 270-foot aces are there? One, one in 100? Probably not, not even – probably like one in 500 or something like that. Exactly. Let alone on the last shot of the world championships. Man. To, to force a playoff. It's insane. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so so what does that mean? Kind of Because you're someone who's obviously been in the professional sports scene for a good portion of your life now. How does this shot kind of like compare to other great sports moments? Like, is it something that you feel like is getting a lot of traction now? Yeah. I mean, I think just because disc golf is not, I mean, if that was like real golf, the masters or something like that would be so legendary, but disc golf's kind of looked at on a lower scale at this point, unfortunately. And I mean, if we're talking about just the athletic, uh, achievement of what he did, yeah, it's, it's very high up there. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I think, there's this thing, like you said, where were you? I know where I was because I'm a freaking disc golf fan, right? Mm -hmm. But there are certain other events where you could say, where were you when X, Y, or Z happened in, you know, in the Super Bowl? Mm. And man, 50% of America probably could tell you exactly where they were because it's that watched. And, you know, yeah. disc golf is unfortunately not on that level yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you you're so you're you take in disc golf avidly. Um, so can I ask, how did the celebrity pro am event come about from your perspective? Is this something you reached out for? They reached out for? How did it no, come together? Um, yeah, I think Paul text Paul started texting me because I think maybe it was the European Open or or something got canceled. Um, and they said I can or DGM maybe said they'd open weekend or open week or. Something like that. And he said, hey, how about we do something in your house? Because I think I had mentioned, like, oh, I would love to host somebody. I would actually love to be able to host a tournament mm -hmm. um, at my house. But I was a young disc golfer one time who traveled around a lot. And I said, I want to play 750 courses. And, like, teenagers, early 20s, you're just an asshole at that point in time. So, like, if I were known there's a really cool course that I could play and it's right there, I probably would have went and played it, you know? 
So I don't want to host a tournament with people locally because then people will know where my house is and they can just show up and play whenever they want. Yeah. You guys, you guys know there's, I would have done it. I'm telling you, I know that I know the mentality for sure. So when, you know, I mentioned, I would, Oh, I'd love to do a tournament, but you know, then people will know where my course is and I don't really want that to happen. And so Paul said, what if you hosted something? I said, dude, that would be, I would love that. I mean, it's so much fun. So I, I'm really pumped for it. Um, so we're doing a celebrity round, celebrity, you know, individual round first, pro individual round first, and then the worst and the best get matched up. Um, and then there's a celebrity and pro alternate shot team round. And so I think, I think it's going to be so much fun. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been spending tons of time cleaning up the course, and then I've been getting out to play around every single day also. That's awesome. I like that idea. You have the best pro score mixed up with the worst celebrity score. I yeah. think that's actually, we were going to ask you kind of like what the format is and that answered it perfectly. But so watch I think out. that's, that's really cool. Watch out. I can totally imagine Paul throwing the first round now just so he can get, yeah, I know. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, would be exactly. hard to explain. Where, so where did the name Funky Farms come from? Because obviously your nickname for your fighting career was Funky Ben Askren or Ben Funky Askren, however it was. Yeah. So where did Funky Farms come from? So I think my wife actually just started a Twitter handle as we moved into our, I'm, I'm going to look it up because, you know, sometimes she has these ideas and then there's not a ton, ton of fault. It's called our funky farm is the Twitter mm -hmm. handle, but yeah, it looks like she hasn't posted. I'm going to give her shit because she hasn't posted since January one. <laughs> the very, the very long time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was what, and then my brother made a, a sign that I, you know, I, I haven't decided. So ideally, I'm supposed to be building my wrestling academy on the property. Also, I have not yet. It's a kind of a long story. Um, so I hadn't decided how I was actually going to number the course because if I built the wrestling academy where I'm going to build it, then the hole that's right by there would be hole number one, right? right? So people, not I would never open it to the public, but my wrestling academy parents, I would rather have them go play disc golf than bother me while I'm coaching and look at their kids <laughs> and yell at their kids and stuff. Like get out of the building, go play disc golf, go yeah. walk around, great. I'll even go. give you. I'll even give you some free discs. Just get out of here. Um, so I was gonna, if if the if that happened or if it does happen, that's gonna be hole number one down there. But now I had to no number it because the tournament. So I'm gonna do hole, hole number one's gonna be in my backyard because that's the one I play first all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and that's I'm sure where all the kind of headquarters will be set up for all the stuff. So yeah, Funky Farm came from my wife, although she has not updated the uh, Instagram at all in a while. Well, make sure she's on it for next week's tournament. <laughs> she got to get on it. Amy, let's go. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Are there any other activities planned for this event besides the disc golf, like barbecue? Yeah. What's sweet? Yeah, we're doing a social Monday night at my house. Um, I'm assuming people will either, you know, there's like I said that we've built the kids course for my kids with within the real course. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they'll get at that or they'll just kind of go and meander and play on their own, that, that type of thing. Um, and yep, then we're getting lunch catered on Tuesday. So I'm sure people will just kind of be having fun. Mm -hmm. And I think they had some ideas for like little contests or other stuff. Um, and I, I don't remember I, I saw a list of it. I don't remember what it all said though. Yeah. So you're talking about, and actually I checked out one of your other podcasts you do now, funky crypto. Oh yeah. Or funky something. Crypto show. Okay. Huh? So I was checking it out today. You got to get to know your guests a little bit, you know, I got to feel uh -huh. them out. <laughs> um, are we going to start paying people out in crypto? Is that what, is that what we should go to? Um, well, one of the companies <laughs> that I work with, my, my, one of my good friends, the CEO, they're going to be the presenting sponsor. It's called Rockfin. They're a place for people to put their content and then they pay out, um, in a, in, it's called the Ray token. It's not, it's not, it's not necessarily a cryptocurrency. It's a token that shows the value of the network. 
Um, it's a long story. We don't need to get into it. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I would love to have that happen at some point in time. And the infrastructure is being built around. So I think probably maybe maybe next year. Awesome. Nice. And I, I think I am subscribed to your do you have something on Rockfin? Because I think I get an email regularly. Yeah, I I, I put my vlog up there. I put my, right. I have a funky uh funky and frb mma podcast we haven't done it in a while so maybe this would be a good weekend <laughs> to get restarted because the mcgregor fight's going to get uh quite a bit of hype so exactly. uh, I, yeah i need to get back on top of that all right um, there you go but yeah so we've done some stuff there so, so now, how did you yeah how did you come to picking the celebrities that are playing at this event obviously we know the pro players that are going to it but for the celebrities for everyone that might not know like how did they get picked to come to this event was it just kind of like availability yeah, so I mean, we just so they have to have disc golf background, right? We're just not getting random people. Um, mm-hmm. They have to talk about disc golf, be interested in disc golf, some some form of that, right? Um, and so we just kind of like made a list of the the people that we all know. So I made you know I made a list, they made a list, Paul added a few, Brody added a few, and we kind of just built this list, and then we just started asking, you know, on down, and we got. Um, I don't know if they got eight or ten. I know they were they were trying to get ten. They were at mm-hmm. eight a couple days ago. Uh, Stephen Thompson initially said yes, and now he's kind of up in the air because he actually fights this weekend. Mm, so okay. you know, I know one time uh, my buddy paid for this volcano hike in the Philippines the next day, and I literally remember the moment I got kicked hard as shit in the leg, and I said, "Oh man, I'm not hiking that damn volcano tomorrow." Yeah. So you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. he takes a leg kick or something. He might not want to come play some disc golf. I guess yep. he 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 get that lands a nice clean knockout. Maybe he'll come throw some throw some disc exactly maybe there should be some form of like a hybrid disc golf fight like how you do that like on each hole you have to do a fight and if they tap like you get a, <laughs> you get and like a, a one stroke advantage score. or something yeah. i don't know but um so your course I'm out. yeah you're out. oh yeah um ben i think it was last week brody jumped in the live chat during our show and he says guys if we get a thousand likes on this video i'll set up a match between ben and matt and i'm just going no we don't we don't want a thousand <laughs> likes stop that <laughs> you know how i i met brody is he he did uh what was his show called on youtube um which but he just came up here, yeah, and we did it. Uh, let's see, Brody. Yeah, no, I'll I've seen it. I've seen Brody. Okay, you've seen it. Yeah, he did, he did not. Bro versus pro. He yeah. didn't wrestle that well. He was not really yeah. a wrestler. Uh, <laughs> I took him down kind of a whole bunch of times. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd go down a few more times, even though. Anyways, so <laughs> that's just funny thought because people are like, "Oh, Matt, mm-hmm. you'd get smashed like a pretzel or an accordion," and I'm like, "All right, this is good times." So. Yeah. At your property, it was interesting to me. It stood out. You said you don't have whole numbers. I guess that makes sense. That's just something I hadn't thought about before. But at your course, knowing that you've got some pros coming, you got some celebs coming. First of all, are you going to be a celebrity or a disc golfer? Celebrity. <laughs> Perfect. How about Terry well, Miller? Is he a celebrity? He's a celebrity. I love that. Nice. I love that. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think in your crypto podcast, you mentioned, oh, I just came in, I had to take a shower because I was working on my course for the yeah. pro. Yeah, it's weird, right? I can go check out your podcast to find this out. <laughs> what what kind of things are you doing? Just general cleanup? Are you adding um, anything special? Bleachers? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no spectators. That's right. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, the yesterday we were redoing tee boxes. So I have the rubber pads with the gravel. So we're just kind of weed whacking, making sure that all look good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been no huge stuff because essentially the course was done last year, uh, and now it's just, it's just kind of making it nicer. So we wood chipped around all of the uh, 
uh, tea boxes and baskets and some of the past that needed it uh, cleaned up. You know, so the property when we bought it three years ago was just everything was overgrown. So, I mean, <laughs> if we had pictures of it then compared to pictures of it now, it's like we <laughs> tore down so much stuff, burned it. Uh, we have this brush hog that runs over stuff and just chops it all up. It's, it's tremendous. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's kind of was all done last year, uh, probably in the fall ish somewhere. And so now it's just been kind of cleaning up and making it nicer. And that's, uh, it's looking pretty good right now. I mean, it's looking at the, the best it's ever looked right now. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So I know people would like to know, so I'm going to ask it. It seems like mm -hmm. you're still really involved with like, teaching training coaching is there any role for you in the disc golf world that you would like to you you actually think you might pursue is there a formal offer out there is there anything in disc golf besides hosting a pro what, what roles can i do i mean <laughs> yeah i freaking love disc golf yeah yeah i mean I, there's some roles i'm in um okay All there's right. no way i can justify playing playing as a pro yeah. um <laughs> which that would be the obvious one to do um just because I have the wrestling academies, uh, I have a family. I it couldn't justify the time away from those things to go play pro. Um, I think I would like to play a couple of times. You know, I'm hoping that my kids get into it and my kids want to go to a couple of tournaments and that'll give me some reason to get out and go throw. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if there's any other formal role, role, uh, I, I would love to do it. I like, I love disc golf. I remember last year during Corona, um, they can't write, they canceled all the tournaments and mm -hmm. Paul and, um hannah paul and hannah and brody came up and it was just like so much fun just to go out and play disc golf and you know i wasn't missing practice or missing tournaments because there was nothing going on mm -hmm. it was just like so much fun to go play and obviously especially because those guys were better than me <laughs> it's like so much fun playing with guys who are better than me because i don't really get to do that that often i mean i have a handful of friends with disc golf none of whom are particularly that good at it so just to watch like someone who's really high level playing the game and, you know, understanding how the disc flies and what shot they're trying to make and then watching them execute on it, man. I, yeah, I, I, I said, I, I just love disc golf and there's just no justification for me being like a, a full-time <laughs> disc golfer, unfortunately. Yeah. Hey, if I knew they were giving out $10 million contracts, I would have said F MMA through <laughs> the Olympics, 2007 college wrestling. I'm going to just go full-time in a disc golf. I know they're throwing out contracts like that. I think Paul started <laughs> what professionally playing in about 2007. I think it was. So you could have been right there. Yeah, I think I have a lower. Do I have a lower PDGA number than him or not? That's He's like, two seven. Yes, you five, do. Two, three. Yes. Yeah, you said you're two six, yeah, right? And what's incredible is you're like a hundred thousand, at least a hundred thousand points, probably ahead of most of our listeners, which is totally crazy. That's how far the really? disc. Oh yeah, disc golf. Yeah. Is, they're reaching. They're almost reaching two hundred thousand. I think probably this year. Wow. It's really growing. Yeah. It's insane. It's it's gotten so big within the last year and a half. It's it's insane. Yeah, I remember one of my goals, like I said, I traveled and played disc golf so the first couple of times or drive around Wisconsin and play a whole bunch of courses in the summer once I got, you know, really into it. Uh and my one time I think I got like I played seventy two of seventy five courses. Like I'd almost played every single course in Wisconsin. And then by the next summer I got back, there was like twenty five more. And then the next year, it was just like, and it was just like, yeah. there was just so many growing. And I think when I first started, I bought the um, PDGA directory thing. Mm -hmm. or I don't know if you guys, you guys probably ain't old enough to wow. remember that. No, 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 I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You'd have to leaf through it to find where what? the course was. You had like <laughs> literally like two lines of text 
And this, that's a hardcore am. I didn't have a freaking app, you soft, wow. soft guys that are playing today. I had a book. And yeah. you really would read two lines and be like, okay, I got to find out. We didn't have MapQuest. <laughs> we had nothing on our phones. We were just driving around. I mean, there's a couple of times we couldn't find these courses. And yep. uh, yeah, that that was, but there were 1,600 courses in that. And someone told yeah. me there's like 9,000 now. Oh, probably. It's a lot. And yeah. my number is 44 or 48,000 so I'm like 20 behind you 22 behind you but I don't remember yeah. I don't remember the the directory that's that's incredible I was trying to find one the other day I thought I would still have one around because I mean literally in the beginning when I first I, I would literally highlight all the courses yeah. that I played that's how I wow. keep track and then it got to be too many and I you know I built a just a google doc file or it was probably <laughs> a word microsoft word file at the time yeah, but I couldn't find one, but that really brought me back when I was thinking about it. I was trying to I was trying to describe to someone, you know, what they were and they, the person yeah. had no idea what I was talking about. No, that's fine. I'm pretty sure I've so seen you, that in in disc golf history page yeah. somewhere, but I was like, "Oh, that's old school." What well, guys, Ben Askren has been playing disc golf for a long time. A lot of people actually think you're new into it. They they know you as a fighter <laughs> and they think uh -huh. that you got into disc golf, but it's actually an OG. Yeah, it's original. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. One of the OGs. Now you're also you're uh you're a Discraft sponsored player, right? Yes, sir. yes, sir. I got I actually I got I don't know if I can show you some secret documents, but I got a couple you pictures can. today. You can show us some um, secret documents. Bob Julio actually had and, an exclusive uh, last week for us. Go ahead. Oh, did you show me the did you show you guys a disc? I'm making a, a, uh, a funky disc. The, oh, it's so sick. Uh -oh. I love Ooh. it. Love it. Love the exclusiveness. Yeah. So, and they're going to cool. come out, uh, I believe they're coming to the tournament next week. Uh, Sweet. So, yeah. And Matt, obviously, we can we can message Bob to make sure he's allowed <laughs> to say that because we can edit it out, if anything. Oh, all right. Maybe we will. So, yeah, we'll just, like, bleep for a long yeah. time. So, bro, <laughs> Yeah, I just, I don't want it to, like, <laughs> go back on anyone. Nope, nope. Okay, it was a, br could they make, like, a special special edition, the the Get Freaky Funky, or Get Funky Freaky, or I don't know, that'd be pretty that interesting. That funny. All right. Yeah. Get funky. <laughs> get funky. Cool. Boom, there, Ooh, we go. there we go. I guess my last question. I know you said you need to be somewhere uh, by three thirty. Yeah. Left. Okay. My last question. I guess if this is a successful celebrity pro am event, do you feel like you're going to reach out to more celebrities next year and potentially do it again? Uh, I, I would absolutely love to. Uh, it's funny because we're finding out more and more people that disc golf as we're putting it out there. I mean, there's mm -hmm. been three or four people who have had you know, really large 80 to a hundred thousand Twitter following. And they say, Oh really? I'd love to play. I just heard about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I've been trying to, as I, as people message me, I've been trying to pass the, the names on. Cool. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's a really cool idea that you guys are doing and I'm, I'm happy that it's all coming to fruition, especially with the pro tour. Yeah. I'm, I'm pumped for it. I think it should be so much fun. All Sweet. right. I agree. And Ben, we thank you very much for your time. <laughs> I hope people go and, People who didn't know you were a disc golfer, now they do. They have a bigger appreciation. Those who knew you as a fighter maybe now have a different appreciation for you. Thank you so much for coming on. We look forward to some of that post-round coverage. I know there's going to be something up there. I think it's GK mm -hmm. Pro or Gatekeeper. I don't remember. One of those. Yep. But one of those going up. Awesome. Cool. Yes, sir. Thank you so ben, much Thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All Take it easy. All right. So that was Ben Askren, everybody. And what an interesting guy in the disc golf world. If you didn't know, he's been playing for almost 20 years now. Uh, Nick, there's two things that stood out to mm -hmm. me. And then guess what? We've lined up Missy Gannon for tonight. She's in our green room. So we're not going to make exactly. her wait. We're not going to make her wait much longer. But I just wanted to say Ben Askren, 
Is this a fighter's mentality? We said least favorable weather conditions during Judge That Disc Golfer. And he picked yeah, what he thought, thought was, was the worst. What he said. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to pick the worst because I think I'm mentally stronger than everybody. <laughs> and then the other thing no, was. I thought, I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, actually, maybe I don't have another point on that. He had a lot of good things to say. Go back and re-listen if you liked it. All right. Without further ado, let's go ahead and bring her in. The FPO player of the weekend missy gannon how are you doing and um i see the trophy behind you is this in your rv yes we found a a space for it right behind me (laughs) very cool it's perfect it's perfect so and this is like a live interview station that you have built in here for all the events you're gonna win right yeah exactly now it's ready it's ready to go perfect so we'll already already line up the next episode sounds good Nick, actually, that's not a bad idea. Nick, we should pre-schedule interviews like with all the people that were like, yeah, they're going to win that one and just line them up. Matt, if we could somehow pre-schedule that, we need to get into sports betting and we need to do it right now. <laughs> all right, Missy. So what a fantastic win. I'm sure you're kind of still feeling it, the moment, all that's going down. So let me just put it out there as you look back. We've talked to you before you had the win. I've met you, you know, when you're kind of starting your touring um, in the the pro division. You look back at all of it, your journey to get here, everything that led up to this event, then the win yesterday. What does it all mean to you? Like, is there a way for you to just share with us what what would happen and how it felt and what you're feeling now? Uh, yeah, I, it just feels like like the monkeys off my back, you know, like I. Recently, I feel like I've had some struggles, um, which shouldn't overshadow all of the success I had this year so far um, and leading up to this year. But, you know, you always you always kind of put more weight on the, you know, the negative, um, you know, it just it stands out in your mind more. So, you know, the the end of the West Coast swing up in Portland and Santa Cruz kind of didn't really go my way and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And uh you know, just it's it's nice to come back and start feeling like my old self again and even better. Uh, so just to come back here and finally get my first, you know, big elite series win uh, was just something that I knew I could do. And I'm just glad that I was able to do it. <laughs> Very cool. So yeah. lately over the last few tournaments, we've obviously had so much drama happening on hole 18 of these final rounds. Can you talk to us about your mindset? going into that final hole did you know the scoring situation and how did that affect your play for that final hole um so i didn't necessarily know the scores i knew that tom my caddy obviously was keeping track and he knew exactly where i was um but i and i had i had kind of an idea um but i you know we've never been in that situation before where it was for the win and and you know, I needed to know what was going on. Um, so we're still sort of figuring that out as a team on how how we want to go about those kind of situations. And um, in reality, going into hole 18, my play was to play for par, you know, regardless of what was, what was happening. Um, obviously, if I had to get the birdie, I was going to try to do everything I could to get there. It would take about it would take three incredible shots from me to, to give myself an opportunity for the birdie. Um, it's a really long and tough hole, but 
um, you know, walking up to hole 18, Tom was pretty quiet, um, which gave me the indication that, okay, I just need to stick with my game plan, which he knew was, was to play for par. Um, and if, you know, if I needed to get the birdie, he would have told me. So I didn't, I didn't ask what the scores were. Um, I knew that I was probably sitting pretty, pretty good. Um, so it wasn't until Jessica parked her third shot um, and was going to, to cash the birdie um, that I looked over to him and I said, what, you know, does that, does that seal the deal? You know, I didn't know if maybe if she got the birdie that it would, what, what that would mean. So, mm -hmm. and he said, no. Um, and then we proceeded up the fairway and I was on, on, uh, at my third shot about to throw my fourth. Um, I, I did kind of leave it a little short. It did end up inside the circle as you all saw, but, um, you know, it wasn't until that moment where we were walking up to the green and I said, what is this for to, to Tom? And he's, he kind of, he kind of chuckled slash trembled a little bit uh but he you know he said if you make it you win and I said okay and that was that was it and so it was kind of like you know just at that point I needed to calm the nerves I needed to pretend like it was any other putt and um I know that I've made that putt plenty of times before and so it was just a matter of getting back into my routine and my normal uh mindset um, as best as, as I could. I mean, I definitely was probably more nervous than usual. Um, but I had to just take my time and, uh, and get it done. And so, yeah, it was really, I mean, again, it was a, a longer putt than I would have liked to, uh, to take the win, but, um, you know, that it's kind of what I do. So I'm kind of, I'm glad that I was able to, you know, knock it down and, and make a big putt in front of the whole crowd. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. It was, it was just a really cool experience. Now kind of follow up into what was your mindset? Kind of like, what were you thinking on that last spot? Like, do you feel like anything changed in the sense of like, do you feel like your hands were shaking maybe a little bit? Like what was the feeling of, okay, I'm about, what would you say? 25 feet away. I need to make this putt. Like what exactly was going on in your mind? Um, I honestly, I don't even know, but <laughs> I think that it was, I think I just knew that I had to just chill out um, and just go through my normal routine. And honestly, it was probably one of the most confident putts, putts that I have made uh, pretty much all weekend, but maybe ever. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that you could even tell by the way the, the putter flew and how it hit the basket that it was just, there was, you know, somehow no doubt in my mind that I was making that putt. And um uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, disc golf is such a crazy thing and your mind is such a, uh, plays such a big factor. I think that I just was able to shut everything down and just make this seemingly routine putt, at least in my mind, um, and just, just do it. And so I, I don't know. I, I hope that I can do that all the time. And yeah, I just, yeah, I'm just so glad I made it. it. It definitely, I definitely was, was nervous. I could definitely tell once I made it, you know, everything kind of started shaking again. My adrenaline was just going crazy, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a, I'll never forget that, but. Were you, first of all, as you explained to me and your boyfriend's name is Tom, right? 
and yeah. and and catty. But when you explained it the way you did, and you said he chuckled slash trembled, and then he's like, "If you hit this, you win." I got goosebumps because, yeah. like, that is a moment. <laughs> That's a moment that you've never experienced before. And then you just relayed it to us that you were able to shut everything down as far as you know bad nerves and I'm, I'm sure do you remember was your heart racing or was that even something that you were able to just calm everything down I, I i don't know i think it probably was and i think that um my heart was probably the most elevated it's ever been that entire round honestly um but uh, i i think that i just was able to at least not focus on it as much. So, I mean, when I, when I'm aware of my heart rate rate and like everything going on, that's when things can kind of go a little crazy, but, um, I don't know. I, I, am sure it was, I'm sure my heart was <laughs> racing and I'm sure somehow I was able to overcome that and just suppress it for the time being so that I could just let it out afterwards. So you did uh, it. Yeah, it was, you did it. It, it. it was something I can't really describe. You did it. Were you fighting back tears? Uh, it, I can't tell sometimes in live coverage, but was that an emotional moment for you? Uh, I, I always wondered what, what would happen when I finally won my first, you know, big event. And honestly, I, I wasn't fighting back tears. I was just so excited and happy and just kind of in shock that I think, it was just more just overall um, it, happiness and excitement. And um, typically I am kind of an emotional person, so I'm surprised that I didn't let out any, any tears, but um, yeah, I think, uh, I think it was just absolute excitement and just, I think I didn't quite fathom what just happened. And, you know, it's something that I've never felt before. Maybe my second win, I'll be like, wow, you know, this is, maybe you'll see some tears then. But no, I, yeah, I think I was just really, really happy. Nice. How would you rate your performance scale one to 10? One obviously being the lowest, 10 being the greatest throughout the weekend, not just the final round, but throughout the weekend in general. Um, I'd say probably about a, a, a nine, eight or nine. I think that I somehow still left a few out there, um, you know, I was bogey free for a good portion of the last round and even the first round. Um, you know, I didn't card my first bogey until hole 10 in round one and then not until hole 15 in round uh, two slash final round. Um, so, you know, to be able to not make that many mistakes and just sort of play really clean and not really go OB at all. Um, especially that final round, I didn't go be at all. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think I played pretty at pretty at a pretty high level. Um, and I just did what I, what I had to do. Obviously if my competitors, you know, if Kristen or Paige, um, and even Jessica, I mean, if they didn't make the mistakes that they made, uh, they might, they might've, you know, they, they definitely had more birdie opportunities or even in round one, I think I played with Kristen. I think she had like five or six birdies and I only had four. Um, but the, you know, she had a few more mistakes than I did. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think for me, I played, uh, almost as well as I think I could have, uh, minus a few, a few missed opportunities, but, um, you know, it was enough to, to take it down. So, uh, no, absolutely. <laughs> one of, I think one of the biggest things, obviously we talked about this earlier on in the show, when we were just talking about the event recap, 
but your circle one X putting, you led the way with 85% circle one X putting. You didn't hit any circle two putts. And that obviously ranges from anywhere from 34 feet to what? 66 feet. So, I mean, every mm -hmm. single one of your circle two putts could have been 60 feet. We have no idea. Um, but your scramble percentage, that was a big takeaway. You're second at 67%. And then obviously you're fifth at the event gained putting. Um, you gained 3.36 strokes on everyone through your putting. And we've talked about this even the last time you were on the show, how your putting has been, I think what we would say is your strong suit, hundred percent. And yeah. so do you, what do you feel like now you want to work on to nail all the other areas like backhand drives, forehand up shots, kind of like, what are you working on next? Um, well, honestly, yeah. So I, I did have a, a pretty good putting weekend. Um, I think honestly, round one, my, my upshots, I barely putted round one. So really my, my hundred percent circle one putting was like two or three putts because every one of my upshots were pretty much parked. And um, so that, that was a big, that was something that I actually felt like I was slacking um, in more recently. So I was really happy to be able to put my upshots close and not really have to putt. Um, but yeah, I think that I threw a decent amount of forehands this weekend. Um, even one, I think just one, but off the tee, which I don't really do all that often unless the hole calls for it, which I thought that it did. Um, and I think that if I can really dial in that forehand, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be a force to be reckoned with. I think, um, you know, if I can really get those angles down, we're getting into the more wooded, uh, courses of the year it, coming over to the East coast. So, mm -hmm. um, the more versatile you can be as a player, I, I think the, the better finish finishing, um, the better you're going to finish at those events. So, um, yeah, if I can really dial in the forehand, I'm starting to get more comfortable with it. I, I definitely go to it for um, approach shots pretty often. So, uh, you know, if I can become a pretty powerful forehand player as well, then, um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to I'm going to be near the top a, a lot more often than I already am. So uh, that's probably something I want to I really want to dial in. Absolutely. I love the confidence and you kind of you you read our notes and we we're just getting to this question where we we're going to ask you how you feel about going forward from this obviously big pinnacle moment in your disc golf career the first and it's hard or impossible to predict do you feel like your game is coming together though in such a way do you feel comfortable saying that you see maybe a few more wins this year or even another win like do you feel comfortable to say that <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, my my goal was to at least win one this year. And so now that I've done that, it's kind of like, you know, what I feel like is I came into Worlds um, come, feeling not so good about my game um, after how I ended in Portland. Uh, but I, you know, we had five rounds to, to sort of get through that and after the first two rounds weren't so great i i ended i ended the tournament um really really strong and i shot two of the best rounds um out of the field on uh, uh, the last two days and so to be able to follow that up here in uh des moines i i feel like i'm just i'm sort of now on this track and at least that's how i feel in my mind that i kind of picked up where i left off um kind of feeling back to normal but also even even better um 
so yeah, I think that anything's possible. And I think again, I as we get into the the more wooded courses, it sort of maybe levels the playing field a little bit more. And um, maybe what I lacked in previous years or last year in the woods, maybe a little bit of confidence. Um, I think I've maybe gotten that back now and even then some. So hopefully that'll translate and I can uh, I can pull out another one. That would be great. Now, this is obviously going to become public knowledge probably within the next week or so, but apparently this event had the most added cash so far at a Pro Tour event. Um, yes. I think that's what I read. What was your takeaway from this event? Yeah, I took four thousand um, dollars, nice. which is was I think the same amount that the second place MPO player got. So, pretty incredible. Very uh, cool. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, the other than the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championships, I think it was the highest um, you know added cash and payout that we've seen. What a time to Very what cool. a time to win. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but it's also true. That's obviously. Yeah, That's I was also say, coming off an eighth place finish at Worlds where you took home $1,650. So, I mean, not yeah. not too shabby. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good to Thank see. You. Yeah, I was going to say, what a time to be an FPO player. It's true, though. The, the sport is evolving, and FPO is getting a lot of attention. Maybe not as much as some think, but it's getting more attention. We can say that much. Um, Nick, I'm going to jump into, I didn't do this before, but I re reached out to the live chat, and I asked if they had any questions. Uh, there was two questions mm -hmm. that came in. I'm going to put both of them out there. If you forget them, I'll re replay it for you. But the first one was, what did Paige have to say to you following the round, if anything, that you feel comfortable sharing? And then also, um, with weather being such an issue um, at this event and only having two rounds played, how did that change up the tournament experience and competition, like in your mindset? Uh, okay, so the first one, what did Paige say to me? I think she might have said something like, where are we going to eat? Uh, to be absolutely honest, um, and that she wanted to get mimosas, which ended up in turning into margaritas. But uh, <laughs> very, nice. very good choice. Uh, yeah. Um, no, but I mean, you know, I, I don't know exactly what she said. Like when you know she she hugged me right after I made that putt. Um, it, you know, she just said, I don't even think she said anything. She might have just said you know, awesome job or whatever, you know, she was very excited for me. And, um, you know, at that point she knew that, it, you know, it was either mine or Jess's to take. So obviously she was happy for, for me to take it down, but, um, yeah, so yeah, I, she did. She asked where we were going to go have some lunch. Um, <laughs> but the second, the second question was about the weather. If you want to repeat that, that yeah, generally <laughs> it was the, the, the feeling that I got from the question was it turned into two rounds. What, how did that change your mindset? Because obviously that's different than what was planned for or prepared for. Yeah. Um, you know, after round one, most of the FPO field had finished their rounds. I th only three or four of our cards left out there, um, had had three or four holes left. I was on chase card, um, or second card round one. Uh, so I had three holes left. And so, um, you know, the feature card had four holes, le holes left. Um, and so, yeah, Saturday morning was, was, was weird. We had to go back out there at, at like 9am and finish up those holes. And we all, we had full intention of coming back, uh, which we did at about four o'clock in the afternoon to, uh, start off round two. And, um, 
So we all got there. We started warming up. Some of the FPO cards had already started. And then we heard, you know, I was just coming off of the, the driving range and walking over back to the putting area. And we heard, you know, three blasts and that was it. Um, it, we all kind of hung out there for a little bit because we didn't know what was happening. And, um, you know, maybe an hour or so later it was, it was called for the day. And so, um, we still thought that maybe we would play two rounds the next day on Sunday. And so that Saturday night, we were just kind of all back to wherever we were staying and waiting for, waiting to hear from um, the crew, what, what the plan was. And so um, I don't know what time, but uh, Saturday night, we all got an email describing what, you know, what the plan of action was for Sunday. And we were told that the FPO field would, would, continue round two and that would be also the final round so we were we knew well in advance that um you know as a, as in advance as we could um that round two was going to be our final round which would be played uh in the starting in the morning on sunday um so first thought i was like great you know i put myself in a good position and there's three of us tied at three under with you know, three strokes off of, uh, the, off of Jessica Weiss, who was sitting in fourth at the time. Um, and we were just, yeah, I mean, the mindset was, I'm glad that I played as well as I did round one. And now it's time to put it away, um, and try to do the same thing and just stick to my game plan and continue to minimize mistakes. And, um, you know, so we were all prepared and aware that this was, the final round and it was you know game time um and we had to we had to get it done so although it was weird i mean if we all had gotten to the course when our second round was supposed to start and you know it was uh yeah it was it was it was weird but we all uh we all kind of adapted and yeah it and I won, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> you exactly. did, and I hope you. I hope you don't feel like you had to justify like it was like a mistake. I I think they were just generally curious with the way weather. That's rounds were running over into like the second day and then getting canceled, and so it was yeah. just a big. It was a big kind of mess of rounds. But it sounds like it was actually yeah. communicated well for you, which is great. Um, so to wrap this up, there's an interesting stat that came out, and I don't know if you've heard it yet. So at any event that you've ever won, okay, that you've ever won, so whatever those events are, you have never okay. won at an event where these following competitors were there. Paige, Kat, Hokum, Weiss, and Tatar. You have never won an event when they are there, and you did it at a very large stage. So congratulations again. Thank you. Yeah, it certainly feels like the people, maybe minus like Haley King, um, the people that I needed to beat and wanted to beat were were there so uh so it certainly feels like uh, you know uh, just a such a validating uh thing to have come out with the win and to um have competed against those you know obviously incredible athletes so uh mm -hmm. yeah i'm just really fortunate to to have come out on top very cool uh what's your next event Giglo. okay so, so you have a weekend off yep Good for you. I was going to say, because we're just about ready to wrap up the interview, I was going to say, well, enjoy your week off. You've 100% earned it. I mean, making $2,000 a day to throw a disc in the woods is pretty awesome <laughs> for your two right. days of the tournament. So uh, <laughs> once again, congratulations. 
we know we're going to have you on the show again in the future. Thank you for coming on to the show as well. Thank you so much for having me. It was a, it's a pleasure. Awesome. Very we'll cool. have you on again. Right. Sure. I'm sure soon. So have a good evening and we'll talk yeah, to you will. again later. <laughs> Peace. All right. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Okay, everybody. That was Missy Gannon. If you couldn't tell after that full interview there, I am so excited for her. And Nick, this is kind of funny. I, I do this on mistake every now and then, and our audio listeners won't get it, but check, literally check out this smile. Look at that. Wow. Exactly. That is awesome. If you, A if, nice personable smile. Wow. I I'm so happy for her. She is the eighth FPO winner. There's a lot that I've been happy for. But she's definitely up there at the top of my list right now. Um, awesome. Um, Nick, something that stands out to me, maybe you want to comment on it. In that interview, and I think this happened at her last one. So if you want to go back, everyone, listen to that interview with her, how she was feeling like a month or two ago. She was pretty confident saying, like, my goal is to win one of these. Like, that's, like, mm -hmm. pretty confident. Yeah. She goes into tonight, and what does she say? Uh, I'm going to be, I don't know if she used the word unstoppable, but a force to be reckoned with. Like if I can dial yeah. in my forehand, what's your, mm -hmm. what's your reaction to that? Uh, I mean, I say this a lot, but I, I like the confidence and I definitely think that is something where if she can figure that out, it's just another tool to help her win. We clearly now know that she can win at the elite level of a disc golf event. So if she betters her game, we might see that more consistently. And I, th I think that's awesome. It just shows once again, the parody that we've had in the FBO field this year, of just the multiple different winners and every single event. It's hard to say, you know, who do I think is going to win it? Cause I, I, I've probably been wrong more <laughs> often than not this year when it comes to the FBO division. It's insane. Uh, yeah. It used to be easier to pick. It was just, mm -hmm. I mean, it's still easy to pick, but you're wrong more often. That's the thing. It's like, Yes. It's not hard exactly. to go. I pick Paul and Paige. Like that's still easy to pick, but like, yeah, you're wrong now more, wrong than you, more often than you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So that's wrapping up our interviews, by the way, I was really excited for both of those. And again, I'm sure we'll have Missy on again, uh, some point soon here, but let's move into mm -hmm. our end of the show topics. And we've got a whole mixed bag today. Um, I'm just going to throw them out there. They might be hit, quick hitting. They might turn into long conversations, but we had an actual PDGA major take place this last week slash weekend. Nick, do you know what that event was? We had the 2021 PDGA Junior Disc Golf World Championships presented by Dynamic Discs. <laughs> presented by, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you follow that at all? So I actually followed it closely, somewhat closely this year. I'm not going to say I followed it religiously, but I did follow it closely this year because there was a decent amount of New England, New England uh, kids playing at this event. So I definitely wanted to keep up and just see how they were doing. And to my not so surprise, uh, Wyatt Mahoney, Uriah Kelly, Landon Brooks, obviously those are three New Englanders. They did very well with Wyatt taking down the win in the, children's 12 and under division. And then also miles Sayer, let me find where he went he got 15th in the juniors, 15 and under division. And then obviously one of my boys, Sammy Streeter, uh, placed 21st in the junior 18 and under division. So, uh, definitely a lot of new England talent out there representing, especially love the Massachusetts people that are going out there. Let me say this. I'm going to get this off my chest. 
And it's not a negative thing. It's actually a really positive thing. But I see people confused with junior division. Junior division does not mean amateur. Okay. It does not mean beginner. It does not mean entry level disc golfer. It is literally an age protected division. You could be pro level, 1,020 rated, 1,000 rated, 980 rated, playing in MJ 12, 12 and under. And you deserve to be there um, winning if that's what you want to do. It is not a mm -hmm. skill-based. It's not like playing in AM1, AM2, AM3. It's not like, oh, this is down to AM4. Oh, this is below AM4. It's literally just an age-protected division. And the reason I'm yeah. saying that is because you see people like uh, Cade, okay? Cade, I think you say Phil Amahoa or however you say his last name. He's playing mm -hmm. on the pro tour level. Um, but he was able to come and win and take down MJ 18. And some people are just not sure what they think about that. And I just wanted to point it out. Nick, if you were still 18 years old and you could go win a world title, that's an age protected division. You have every right to and should play if you want to. Yeah, million percent. I think that's the biggest thing that we're kind of, we need to realize is that like Matt just said, it's not like a, a skill level part to it to where, like you said, it's not an amateur division. It's not a pro division. It's an age protected junior division. So let's say Cade is obviously, I think he was thousand two rated, which is higher rated than you would say most people in the world, a thousand one rated. And then there's another player who's nine ninety eight. I mean, both of those they're rated higher than me and I'm eight years older than them, potentially even more. And, uh, but yeah, they are in all their right to go and compete at this event. They're 18 and younger, and that's what this event calls for. So I, I see no issue with it in a sense. I mean, it's just someone who's able to dedicate a lot of time into disc golf and they're able to go out to an event like this and win a world championship. So, and we have other titles. I believe Nate Sexton has some, um, there's a, a I don't want to get, get it wrong now, but there's a whole bunch of our pros who have these junior titles. It's something to strive for and earn. Yeah. Um, but what I, I guess just to extend and enhance this conversation a little bit, being involved so long with kids disc golf and the promotion of junior competition and disc golf, I had to think through this because I'm not saying that this is the way it's going to be forever. I think, and I'll wrap this up by saying, I think that right now the issue is, yes, it's, it seems like a lot of new entry-level players coming in at a young age, but we're at kind mm -hmm. of at a turn now where these younger players are really good and a lot of them can beat me. <laughs> That's not saying that much. Um, I think right now it's operating as a junior open, if you will. So you have MPO, you have FPO, and you're, yeah. you're going to have MJ, which is mixed juniors open. That's really what it mm -hmm. is right now. There's no skill level or rating caps on this. I think that eventually, and maybe it's right around the corner, they're going to actually have to create a whole nother set of divisions in the junior realm. Meaning you are going to then have what we could call just for sake of conversation, AM1, AM2, AM3 in the junior 12 and younger, like literally yeah. everyone who's 12 yeah. and younger, there's different levels of competition in there. So if you're a 12 year old who's been playing since you were one, my son, for instance, mm -hmm. like he's going to play in the MJ 12, open <laughs> and if you're brand new to it you can compete in the mj12 whatever the the second or third yeah, yeah. exactly i yeah, think yeah. that will happen I at some point saying. but like it's it's going to be a conversation that has to come up i think now does this, does this event happen at 
Emporia every single year? Is that how this is? It has. You know? It's actually been four years, but last year was canceled. But yes, yeah, so three yeah, years in a row, they, had, they yeah. had agreed on a contract with the PDGA to run this. Okay. And I think it was actually, for what it's worth, I think it was a good decision because it was never run as a standalone event ever. And I think it was important to grow it in strength and quality to get it going like and to and sustain it. Um, yeah. Next year, it is actually being TD'd by Ledgestone's very own Nate Heinold out in uh, Peoria and those courses around there. So that's what we have to look forward to nice. next year. Cool. That's what I thought. I just couldn't remember in my head if it was multiple times at the Emporia Country Club, but that makes sense now. Don't worry. We're not going away from Worlds at, in Emporia for too long. We got Worlds coming up MPO next yeah, year. Yeah, we got Pro Worlds going there. Yep. Going there next year. All right, Nick. Next topic. Um, and this is a short one. Do you have any insight into why at the Des Moines uh, Challenge there weren't, there was a good amount of competition, but it wasn't mm -hmm. everybody. Like, and typically you see at these elite series, almost everybody. You had Ricky mm -hmm. out, Eagle out, um, Simon. Simon wasn't there, Sexton. Yeah, exactly, Sexton. Yep. Yep. Yeah, like, what do you, any insight into that? Uh, I don't have any personal insight, but at the same time, I, this is a very busy part of the year. Obviously, we're coming off of Worlds. We're coming off some large eight tiers last weekend. Uh, this weekend, I feel like there was a lot of other events that were going on. I know Ricky was out actually at Junior Worlds. I'm pretty sure supporting the event and doing some stuff out there. Uh, I think Eagle and Simon had both gotten into Wisconsin a little early. Um, I think mainly it's just because it's it's been a very busy year. There's a lot of pro tours still left in the year. Uh, I feel like they just all thought, hey, maybe this is a good weekend to catch up on some rest, I guess. Yeah, I think that's probably the pretty simple answer there. I do know there was... Um like Simon and Eagle probably just trying to relax going into this pro-am. I do know yeah, there was, exactly. there were other events that were happening, but that kind of leads me into this point of the next topic slash conversation. Paul Macbeth was the highest ranked, which he's at most events, but he was the yep. highest ranked here. He didn't have, like I said, we can re reiterate the names, Eagle, Wysocki, Sexton, Simon, two of those probably more credible than the others as far as really pressing. But mm -hmm. Do you think, and this is an interesting topic, I'm really interested in your opinion on this as a pro disc golfer, which would have meant more for his season storyline, good or bad? If Paul lost this event, not having like Ricky and Eagle and these players there, if he lost this event, how big of a deal would that have been? And would it have been a bigger deal than him winning it, meaning like him winning it. Is that a bigger message or would him losing it have been a bigger message? What do you think? I, I would say if he lost it, it would have been a bigger message. But I think I'm saying that out of like my own personal opinion in the sense of I don't think it's it's obviously a big deal. He won a pro tour event. It's his first one of the year for pro tours. Um, but at the same time, he's obviously it's not like it's his first pro tour ever. And then at the same time, like he's lost events that the best players weren't at. And he's won events that the best players weren't at. Um, I think it was a good story because it's right after world championships. It was his first event back after the worlds. Um, so for the most part, it was obviously a good thing, but I don't think there's too, too much to kind of go on that in the sense of, you know, for him, it's another tournament. He won it. He's happy about that. And I think, I think that kind of, concludes the storyline of it i don't i don't know if there's too, <laughs> too much to really think i'm gonna about give it. you i'm gonna give you some things to think about 
Yeah, he, go for it. This is the longest that he's ever gone without winning a disc golf pro tour. And before this, before this event, he only had one this whole season. One. Now, I know the argument is that, well, he's performing well. He just doesn't have any wins, which I actually agree with. But imagine if he went through and not winning this could have started setting up the storyline. Will Paul win a disc golf pro tour this year? Like, I think that would have been a significant conversation had he lost. Like, will he win? Like, like we were saying, Kevin Jones for a while. Remember, we were saying, like, where is he? Now, that was different. Yeah. He was down the chain quite a ways. Paul's been up there. Yeah. But I think the conversation for Paul is not is he good, not is he bad, but, like, will he win one this year? And the fact that he won, to me, that is a bigger message than him losing, to me. And I don't, I, I just, that's where I fall on it. I know everyone else probably has their opinions. He lost, that's significant, too. Um, but winning is a pretty good stamp saying, now I've won an NT. I've won a disc golf pro tour and I won an old classic of uh, fountain Hills Memorial championship. So, yeah. 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 yeah uh, I think that'd be a very extremely hot take to say he wouldn't win. Even if he had lost his last event, it still would have been an extremely hot take to say that he wasn't going to win one of the what seven that are left. So yeah. Well, let's, let's add fuel to his fire. Then I, I don't know if it like, is he going to, is he going to win another one the rest of the season? You think so? I think so. Yeah, I think it, I think he wins at least two. All right, that's right. That's what you said. All right, so let's move into our next topic. Paige has had a fairly slow return after Worlds. We kind of teased this out in the beginning. Would a three-round event, this is speculation, and I wasn't going to throw this one on Missy, but I am curious to know, would a three-round event have changed the outcome of this tournament? I, I, it's pure speculation. I get it. It's a hypothetical. But for the sake of we are sports talk, what do you think? Is Paige going to turn it on and go 10 down in the last round? Uh, obviously, potentially, it could have changed the outcome. That's not saying it it would have. I'm saying potentially because I think that's the only answer you can really get with it. Um, but I think at the same time, like, look at the way Jessica played. If she had putted just a little bit better, she would have won the event. Kristen played pretty well. Paige obviously played well. Katrina was firing um, from the chase card, I think. So potentially it would have changed the outcome. Uh, I think personally a three round event would have been more an, an advantage for page, but that's not saying Missy would have kept up with it. Cause obviously she clutched up when she needed to. So yeah, I'm going to give kind of a basic answer. Potentially it would have <laughs> page page, Kristen or Jessica, obviously Jessica being the closest, those would have been the three people who could have put a push on Missy. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I feel similarly. However, the question did creep into my mind during round two saying, man, Missy, and I even texted you this, so you can back this up. Missy was playing good enough that she wasn't being caught. Like she was, she was yes. doing it. My question is, would that happen for a whole nother round? Now, it's all speculation. We already said it in sincerity. I was so happy for her. Nothing to be taken away. Just literally sports discussion fodder here to say, like, where are we at? Where's Paige at? What would have happened with three rounds? It's, it's just a discussion. So, all right, Nick, mm -hmm. you ready for this one? What do you think? What in the world has happened to Nico LaCastro? Literally, I, I don't want to yeah. say hot fire, but winning events and uh, playing pretty well in the top five towards the beginning of the season. Now, like, I didn't look at it. I probably should have averaging 
got to be like mm-hmm. lower than 40. Like what has happened to Nico? <laughs> uh, I'm looking, I'm actually looking at his page right now and I'm kind of trying to do everything by the day. Obviously he has a win at Waco. He got third at the vintage open eighth at the Portland open ninth at mid America and ninth at OTB and then 10th at Jonesboro. So those were top 10 at elite series events. One of them being a silver series or two of them being silver series events. But lately we've kind of seen him what about, at the world championships. Yep. His world championships was his worst finish this year. It was 56th place. It got him 585 bucks, but obviously that's not, that's not that, not the Nico that we're used to seeing. Um, 18th at Delwood, which was a silver series. That was a clash of canyons event. Uh, let's see. So I guess you could kind of say as of late, we haven't seen his name up there. Um, what's going on with him? Who knows? I mean, might have personal stuff going on. Nico is kind of like one of those players where for him, everything needs to be on to walk away with the win. Obviously like Paul can have, let's say a rough putting day and he was still able to walk out with a win. Ricky can have a rough putting day and still able to walk out with a win. I think for Nico right now with where he's at skill level wise compared to let's say the top four players in the world, he needs everything to be clicking in order for him to walk away with that win. And at Waco, it seems like it was, but since then we haven't really seen that, that style of Nico yet. So I'm not really sure what's going on with him though. Yeah, he, I feel like he came out this season playing better than really he ever has, at least the start of the yeah. season, the way he came out. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I I felt really like, wow, he's really performing so well. It's kind of surprising to me now, which maybe it shouldn't have been, but to see, yeah, his worlds and then this recent performance here. Yeah, exactly. I think kind of the big shocker was the world championships and like, hey, what's going on? Because I mean, those courses... You know, Nico obviously throws far. Nico has a decent sidearm. Nico's got a decent putt, but he has a great backhand. And those courses did set up for people with, you know, for the most part, a pretty good backhand distance-wise, accuracy-wise. He's good at both of them. Um, so we are seeing re- Nico kind of in a rough patch, I'd say. Will it extend the whole year? Maybe. Who knows? But I could see him also squeaking away another podium finish or two throughout the year. Nick, you've just got every you've just got everybody winning. Oh, podium. Okay, I was thought you were gonna say winning. Yeah, podium. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I'd put money on it that he doesn't win another elite series event the rest of the year. All right. But podium, I could see. I could see him knocking down like a top three at GMC or something like that. No doubt. We have so many takes. We should def- We should definitely make a billboard or a bulletin board where we could like. Here's our takes. We cross them out see, as they happen. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Paul. Cross them out. Paul just won two events. That like it'd be pretty fun. Um, getting really close here to the end. I did want to point this out because we had some conversation about it and I don't remember my brother's been on the show one or two weeks when you were out. I have another Mm -hmm. show I record, so I don't remember all the places I've talked about this, but Kona Panis we've talked about, or again, I'm not sure where, but we've talked about her putt. And I think I even said to her live in an interview, and it's probably something for sure. Everyone's agreeing with. Yes, Matt, you did say that live. I said, it looks weird. Like her putt Mm -hmm. looked I don't know the right word. It looked weird, but I encouraged her. I said, Hey, if it feels right and it's working, then that's what matters. But it looked weird. And inside I was definitely thinking about it going, that just does not seem like the most efficient style of putt. Doesn't seem like the highest percentage. I'm not a, a pro, but I do watch the pros play and hers stood out extremely. 
Did you see recently her social media, what she's talking about her putt? Have you seen anything? So I heard about it. I might have glanced over a video of her talking about it, but I did hear she that that she was working on a new putt, but I haven't seen any videos of it. I don't know how much time she I don't know if she tried it this past weekend at Des Moines, but um yeah, I did I did hear though that she's changing up her putt. Yeah, and it seems to me just like uh, how did how did she put it? I screenshotted it because I thought it was fairly significant. She said started working on a new putt, something more simplified with some spin. Would you like to see it? And that was her social media, and a hundred percent yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be one of those things where she had confidence with that putt, and she won Waco. And I think she struggled with, do I change my putt? Or do I stick with it? I did win an event with it. Maybe it's a mental thing. Mm-hmm. But then after how many events, she finally decided, uh, yeah, no, I really do have to change it. So, I mean, Nick, how many yeah. times have you changed your putt in, in your disc golf career? Any at all? Just little, a lot. little things? Yeah. Big uh, things? No, I mean, lately now it's kind of switching up little things with it. But I've gone through some pretty drastic putting changes. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of have an awkward putting style i would say it's definitely not the cleanest looking one but i figured out a way to make it work uh, but there's always little things that i'm trying to change with it to make it kind of a good looking putt while it being an efficient putt i mean the most important thing if the, if the disc goes in the basket on a consistent basis and it's not hurting your body then i would say you have a good putt but if inconsistencies rise then or you're hurting your body then yeah the little things need to be changed and I think the the way that Kona was putting just had too many variables of things that could go wrong. So for her to finally, I, I kind of saw her working with Des Redding at the world championships on her putting. I'm not exactly sure exactly what it's going to look like, but for the most part, I do think that she does need to change a few things and she'll be able to build consistency with it. I, the other thing is you got to have confidence in it. It could be the ugliest putt in the world, but if it's consistent, it's going in the basket and it's not hurting your body. Who's to say anything against it? You know, I, I've seen people who putt great turbo putting from 20 feet and they do it all the time and they make them all. Do I think it's the right way to putt? No, but who am I to judge their putters going in the basket? That's, that's, that's all that matters. Yeah. As long as it's working that that's the, I mean, otherwise, I mean, I think in the sports as the sport gets bigger and bigger and bigger, I mean, there's, People are getting paid to talk about this and they're going to say like, hey, she should change it. And actually, whether or not they should say that, that's what they're getting paid to talk about. And mm-hmm. she's she's even recognized it. Right. And I just saw somebody in the live chat say something about an Instagram post she made earlier today. And I'm going to actually read it. Um, and I want to say before this gets read, this is personal from Kona, but she did make this public. So I'm going to read it. I also struggle with something that she just said anxiety and i've had some very serious anxiety issues enough to go get professional help i reading this just now am slightly emotional um and i but i do want to share it because i think it's important for people to hear that these Mm -hmm. professionals as you said nick we don't know what people are dealing with are are Mm -hmm. dealing with other things that are going on than just their career like i deal with things other than my career so let me go ahead and read this Um, this week has been something else. I experienced my first ever anxiety attack and had several more on our way to Des Moines. It was a very scary experience that I felt would never end. 
All I can say is how thankful I am to have the support system around me. Um, she says, at C. Monty is such an amazing boyfriend. I couldn't have imagined going through this without you by my side. I thought I was all alone in this situation, but I found myself surrounded by people who had experienced something similar or were simply just there to comfort me and make me feel better. I hope those who might be going through something similar can take something away and keep fighting. I was worried I was going to experience one of these attacks during one of my rounds and was really debating dropping the event. I was able to use some breathing techniques taught to me by Disc Golf Strong to get through the moments. I thought I was going to have one. Thank you for being a lifeline, Seth. I didn't play all that great and had extra nerves with a new putt while being on coverage. I didn't make a lot of putts and it's probably hard to watch, but that shouldn't stop you from heading to GK Pro, watch some great drives and follow my card mates, play some great golf. She goes on to mm -hmm. say that she enjoyed the park. Um, she's proud of the way she handled herself, even though things didn't go how she planned. Um, she appreciates the sports support system and the messages. I just want to wrap that up by saying Nick and I talk about Nick tends to give them the benefit of the doubt. I tend to be a little bit more harsh. Um, I care a lot about individual. It sometimes crosses the line a little bit when we're just talking as if they're just a sports figure. Um, but that's not all they are. They have real mm -hmm. lives. And I just want to make sure I, I do send out a heartfelt. Wow. She, like, she was experiencing a lot and my take on the putting when I was taking, making that take on the putting, I had not seen this. So it's not like I saw that and I was trying to add gasoline to the fire. Um, yeah. So Nick, I mean, with all that in perspective, you and I are friends and actually outside of competition friends with her. Uh, we wish her the best mm -hmm. on this journey to through life. Really? Yeah. A hundred percent. I say that for all the, professionals out there trying to make this their job and living and everything like that. There are so many mental anxieties going on in a disc golfer's life that I, I really just don't think people realize, yes, they made the decision to go out and pursue this full time. Yes. It's a hard job to actually make it a full time unless you're in that certain percentile of players. Um, but people are out there doing it. And I think one of the biggest things that us as fans and support can do is just show them support rather than criticizing their every single move. I mean, Shout out to Kona for being able to do this mid-season work on something to where she knows, look, I got to take a step back in order to take two steps forward in my game. And I, like I said, kudos on her for being able to make that decision. A lot of players wouldn't do that till the off-season, but she realizes that in order for her to become a better player, she needs to start doing these things now. And for someone like Kona and for someone like a lot of these top professionals, they're under the spotlight, under a lot of eyes, especially Instagram followers, YouTube, post-round production, live production, everything like that, to where people are keyboard warriors behind it. I mean, a lot of people are guilty of it. Be nice. You know, that's the biggest thing. Be nice to these players. There's no reason not to like them. And if you do have one to not like them, then you don't need to shout it out to the public and everything like that. I mean, it's just these people, they're doing something and they're trying to provide an entertainment. We do look at them as entertainers, but they're human beings. Matt, you and I are human beings. Anyone watching this disc golf podcast, you guys are human beings. We support every single one of you. Um, I don't know. Be nice. That's, that's the biggest takeaway of it. Nick, you you are extremely nice. That's uh, you're good at it. I, I try to be, I mean, it's easier. Do you to have any enemies? Like that, do you have but... any enemies in this world? 
<laughs> probably, yeah, probably. I mean, probably. yeah, more than likely. I, I can't list any off the top of my head, but I mean, okay. yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I piss people off. Let's wrap it up <laughs> with this conversation. Something a little bit more lighthearted in nature. Drop zones. You got to hate them because you, you don't want to have to use them because that means your shot went bad. Mm-hmm. But Nick, what's your experience generally? You move to a drop zone. Do you generally feel like, all right, they're giving me a long chance at something for saving par? Like, that's typically what they're giving you, right? Or, or how do you view drop zones? That's tough because <laughs> there, are, there are good drop zones in the world, um, but there are also really bad ones. Like, almost every single drop zone at the World Championships was a bad drop zone. It was way too rewarding to have an awful drive. And I can kind of speak from experience of, like, Hole seven at Mulligans. It's this long water carry. Uh, it's like a 550 foot par three. And I was playing with a guy in my card who didn't even clear the water, probably only threw about 250 feet, and the disc just got smacked down by the wind, maybe even less than that, threw it into the water, but then proceeded to go to a drop zone that was 400, probably 70 feet down the fairway. I mean, you were jump putting at the basket to save your three on a 550 foot par three. And the guy threw no more than 250 feet. And now he's jump putting to save his par from let's say 80 or 90 feet. Another guy in my card threw a drive down the middle perfectly, threw an upshot to about 20 feet, ended up making the putt. The guy who was putting from the drop zone hit the basket, went into the chains, and it actually spit out a little bit to where it was like, holy cow, one player played the whole kind of the best he could have and got his par, walked away with it, and he was happy. But then a guy who took an out-of-bounds stroke, who didn't even clear the water, almost got the same score. And so I think that the scoring separation because of that is why disc golf isn't as hard as I think it should be in certain scenarios. Um, Some drop zones are way too forgiving. I think the drop zone on hole 16 at Worlds at the Fort I thought was very forgiving because you – it's a great jump, but don't get me wrong. I had to hit it one of the rounds. Unfortunately, I did, and I saved my par. But at the same time, I threw a B. I threw a bad shot. Another guy in my card landed inbounds. Yeah, he missed the 25-footer, and I can just, let's say, 70-footer or 60-footer. I forget exactly what it was. But, like, I threw out of bounds. I misplayed the hole. This guy made the island, and yet we walked away with the same amount of strokes. Like, that to me just isn't – I don't know. I feel like that – caters too much to bad shots. Um, but there are courses where I think drop zones are great. And I'll say one off the top of my head, hole five at Maple Hill or hole one at Maple Hill. If you throw into the water, you go to a drop zone to where you still have to throw over water. The shot is still hard and more than likely you're not going to save your par. You're struggling now to get the lowest possible score being a bogey or worse. Um, hole eight at Maple Hill. You go from the gold steep pad. If you throw it OB in the water, now you go to the white steep pad. You went from a 320 foot shot to, I don't know, Matt, help me out, 270 maybe? Sure. 250? Yeah. 240? Something like that. It's still a hard shot. It's still very easy to go out of bounds on that. And so all of a sudden you go out of bounds again. You go to another drop zone, even further up. You're walking away with a six while the guy who landed in bounds, he might have been 30 feet long in the basket and laid up his putt. But guess what? He played the hole better than you. And so he walked away potentially three strokes better than you. And I think that is where drop zones, like you should advance a little bit on certain holes. I think some holes should be stroking distance. Uh, that's just a personal thing of me, but um, 
especially when it comes to water shots where your disc might never come into bounds, why do you deserve to move up the fairway at all? Like, I, I don't think you, you didn't make a good shot. You deserve to re-tee. But that, like I said, that's just my own personal <laughs> opinion of it. But at the same time, uh, some drop zones are good out there. There's not saying there's no bad ones, but I think it should be very, very difficult to save par from a drop zone. Granted, if you have a miraculous shot, yeah, I get it. They go in sometimes. But at the same time, you played the hole bad. You deserve to be punished. Someone who plays the hole well, you can even play good. <laughs> you deserve to gain strokes on people who play the hole bad. That's just, unless you screw up by missing like three putting or something like that. But that's also a different story. I think I can just summarize what you were saying. First of all, you're bitter. No. <laughs> Second, secondly, no, I'm just no. Nick. Nick. I'm not. I'm, I'm just messing. He's like, there's too many times where I, they should have got worse than me. Okay. Here's the thing. I, I just do want to summarize that by saying, I don't think you should ever have an easier time playing the hole because you advance to a drop zone. It should never be easier than if somebody threw a great shot. Um, so wherever the great shot can land on a hole, you should never have a drop zone. That's even like remotely close to that. Or if it is, it better be like a really excellent shot. Like that is like the best you could do. Um, mm -hmm. I saw it at this weekend's event, Des Moines Challenge. This is what made me think about it, where he literally, I think it was uh, Albert Tam. Uh, I don't remember what hole it was. They had to throw over OB, landed in the fairway. He went short. Um, or no, he went, I don't remember now, long or short, but he went OB, and he advanced literally like 70 feet. Like, that was it. Like, to the next tee pad, 70 feet closer. Like, okay, now you shouldn't have a problem clearing. But like, that's only 70 feet. He had zero chance to get par on that hole. Zero at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And I guess that was my question. Do you feel like you should not have any chance to get par? Or like, I guess I'll say this. My opinion is I feel like you should have a chance at par, but it should be really hard. Like excellent, yes. like excellent throws. That's kind of my stance for mm -hmm. uh, drop zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think it's, from the drive, I think on certain holes, I think some holes like, and that's, that's a tough part about, you know, maybe he threw a B on a par four. I'm not sure which hole you're talking about. I didn't get to watch all the coverage yet from Des Moines, but I kind of want to go back to this whole seven at the Mulligans course. Um, we had a pretty stiff, let's say 20 mile per hour headwind. So it's really hard to throw in that, especially if you're someone who doesn't throw far, you could throw inbounds, but still have, you know, let's say a, 200 foot upshot, 180 foot upshot where that ripping 20 mile per hour headwind still affects your disc a lot. But yet this guy who technically could have thrown the disc five feet in front of him. Technically that's OB now advances 400 somewhat feet up the fairway. And now his 80 foot jump, putt, 90 foot jump, putt, whatever it was, that's a lot easier to do than your 180 foot upshot after you'd already thrown what people would consider a decent drive. So I think that's where par threes, it's very hard to make drop zones perfect on a par three, um, especially to save par, but par fours and par, par fives, I could definitely see them being a little bit, I would say easier to save par. I mean, hole nine at the fort, it was the long par five. And I'm pretty sure someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Adam Hammes was actually able to save birdie after going OB on his drive on the par five. And that to me is wild. 
because he was able to advance. The drop zone was further than any drive I ever put on that hole. I technically, obviously, I don't want to throw it OB because I do want my second shot to try to be in bounds, whatever. But at the same time, like he was able to save a birdie from a drop zone, like save a birdie. We're not just talking about a par. Even if he missed his birdie putt, he had a drop in par. Like that's where I just think sometimes it's too forgiving. Um, every course is different though. I mean, like I've said, there are some great par three drop zones. I think Maple Hill actually has a lot of great par three drop zones, but there are some holes that definitely do not. Yeah. I, I, well, now we're going to extend the conversation a little bit. Like, so Maple Hill iconic hole, people are able to go look this up so we can talk about it or you've seen it hole eight at Maple Hill. Everybody mm -hmm. is, uh, let's just go. They're used to seeing the gold tee pad. Like you said, that's 320, I think, to clear the water. 320. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, if you miss that, you move to, like you said, like a 270. So I'm just replaying this. Now the white tee pad. But yep. that is actually a good scenario. Like, I feel like you can still throw that in and, and it would be considered an ace if someone was playing that white layout. But like, yeah, that's still yeah, yeah. throw inable pretty, pretty often for the pro level. Not pretty often, but often enough where they could save yeah, par. I mean, I mean Let's, I mean, you say that, but at the same time, did a single person save par that way last year at the MVP <laughs> Open? No. I mean, you're, that's what I mean. You're talking but. about the best players in the world. We're forced with that. And some of them, it's funny because this happened to me because karma sucks sometimes. I saw someone on their U disc take a six on hole eight. And I thought to myself, how the heck do you take a six on hole eight? And I'm thinking, I'm a local guy. If I miss it from the gold tee pad, I usually put it on the green from the white tee pad more often than not. And then what do you know? The next round, I go ahead and I take a six on it. <laughs> and to be honest, like that, yeah, karma sucks. But at the same time, like I, that was a challenge. Like that was mentally, and it was also really mentally frustrating because it's like, holy crap, I just took a six on that when normally like people are twoing it, people are threeing it. Someone who three putted from inside the circle is still taking a better score than me. And <laughs> I, I honestly, I think that hole is one of the best drop zones in all of disc golf that I played. And the same thing with 14 now. To where you go from the gold tee pad if you're ob you go from the blue tee pad which is a much easier shot but it's still difficult and then if you miss that you go to the original drop zone which is uh, like a little overstable putter toss right or you know sidearm zone or something like that so so to, okay so maple hill great drop zone. yeah we're Other on the place, same page world's <laughs> world's horrible drop zones okay we're okay we're on a similar page but i will give i will lend credit a little bit to the long jump putt drop zones i actually there's a few of those i like i do feel like generally hole 18 at mulligan's there i kind of like it because that's an aggressive like you have to you can go for it and get it but it's aggressive and if you mess up you're probably getting double bogey so i kind of like yeah. the risk reward it's kind of like you're probably going to get your bogey but if you really want it you can go get your par um yeah, doesn't ledstone uh, ledstone has a similar one the water clear shot it's another short par three seven 17 okay yep. yeah towards the end yeah. there reed for skier always skips it off the water <laughs> yeah i'm not sure if it's jump puttable it might be I, I don't remember if it is jump puttable or not but i know it is a shorter drop zone you can throw it in but i think that hole is a little easier to where if you go from the drop zone you're you're probably flooring it um so. i think that one's kind of a little less risk reward holy teen at mulligans was kind of a a weird hole in the sense of like i i liked the hole but I disliked it at the same time because five feet short of the basket was OB. Right. And I think that was kind of frustrating. Like I don't like OB that close to a basket. I think that was kind of 
that was kind of annoying because it, it would have made that drop zone putt better. Um, so that hole's kind of weird, but I, I do get what you're saying. And then like that kind of like wow factor of it, of hole 18, people would argue that at Mulligan's um, that it was a good drop zone. I think it was an okay one. I don't think it was the what about the fort? I what rather... about the fort? Hole 16, Paige Pierce sinks it from like 75 feet. Like, that's amazing. See, I don't like that because she threw it OB <laughs> multiple times on that hole and saved par every single time. How many like, other people did hit, that? How many other people play? did that? <laughs> a lot. I saw it multiple times from MPO players. Okay. Like, I, I 200 people in the car. field. How many people did it? You know, I think, I, I well, guess. Dude, if you take the 209 people, I bet you. 30 plus percent all right stat mando far from the stat mando zone. stat mando yeah check it out um seriously though it was like dude i i played on a card where three of us hit it in a row like it was it was insane the first round we all went ob long and then three of us in a row hit the drop zone putt wow not to say they weren't insanely good putts they were believe me they they were awesome putts but at the same time it's like <sighs> <laughs> every single round come on like at least penalize me a little bit more for going ob like there was a sick there was a real the blue tee pad on that hole uh, no one got to see it if you walked by it there's a sick sick tee pad okay you could have shortened it by like maybe 80 feet and you would have had a killer good drop zone to where it was still difficult to make that island and i think that makes that hole in a sense more fun because now there's that much more pressure of landing inbounds. And then if you don't, you still have, I would say, I don't know, kind of a badass shot to, I don't know, get it on the island. I like I this. I think 18 at Mulligans, I think 18 at Mulligans, the drop zone should have been a shorter shot, but still had to carry the water. Like that's just me personally. I think short par threes, it's really hard to put a good drop zone, especially when you have them where like hole 18 and mulligans you got ob five feet from the basket like holes like that it's tough but yeah interesting uh, we've never had a conversation on drop zones so that was kind of fun um we didn't even come fully prepared if you couldn't tell but oh, nick no, heck no. i do appreciate your your perspective especially being at worlds and playing some of these larger courses like you said maple has a lot of good ones and i've played those um i like mm -hmm. the chance to be able to save par with a great throw that is that is where I'm at with drop zones. Give me the chance. Make it hard, but give me the chance. Um, I don't like it when it's automatic punishment. You have no ability to get par. I don't like that. I'm not saying it's so, wrong. I'm just saying I don't, I don't like that. Do you like hole one at Maple? Do you like that drop zone for the gold layout? It's the one right on the backside of the pond, right? Because yeah. I, never, I never use it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's th we're talking so pro someone, level. We're talking pro can, level. Pro level we're layout. Pro level. I'm I'm saying, but for you personally, like no, you for me personally, reach, I, I no. Cannot. For me personally, I, I as an am player, yeah. No, as an am player, I don't love it. It's I just I, I'm used to it. Saying all right, it is what it is. Get my five, my bogey, yep. and walk away. But as a pro level player, they have a chance yeah. from there to put it in the mouth of the the green and possibly get their par. They do have a chance. Exactly they have a chance and that takes elite level distance. And I think for pro layouts, yes. I think that's kind of how it needs to be. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's where disc golf in a sense that these championship level courses, these gold level courses, whatever you want to call them, they do need to kind of cater more to the top players, not the top players in the world, the touring players of the world, rather than kind of like the everyday local playing an event. Cause I think whole one maple, um, that drop zone is good for every single layout. 
Like, I think it's awesome for blues, for diamonds. Well, yeah, it's kind of the same thing for diamonds and golds. But um, I, I think that's a great drop zone to where it's a really big struggle to get your par. And you're probably not going to get your par. But, like, it's still hard to get your bogey, which I like. I like that, that because I messed up my tee shot, and there are a hundred different ways where I could have played my tee shot safe, but I decided to go over the water to try to bite off that extra 50, 60, 70 feet of distance, whatever. And then now I'm penalized for it. Now I'm struggling to save my par or even get a bogey. Like I think the risk reward factor needs to be greater in disc golf. Cause there's too many times where you see it to where let's just take OB in general. Now we're dropping the drop zone conversation just really quick. <laughs> there are so many, there are so many par threes that I've played to where if you go OB long in the basket, you walk in, you take your meter, you're only 15 feet from the basket. And now you're, you know, pretty much, let's say dropping in a par. So I think there's just not enough risk reward. I think there needs to be a little bit more. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, my, my last words on it. Cause I was just rethinking through hole 14, another iconic hole at Maple Hill over the water, the whole mm -hmm. way. And you were asking me what I thought about that. And I'm going to end by saying, because I'm not saying that everything needs to be easy. By no, like, I would say moving down to the blue or where the FPO plays from still does give them a chance at par. It does. It, it does. I guess my point is saying I don't like holes where it takes it away. Like, let's say yeah. move, move that basket 700 feet away. Well, nobody has a chance if you have to throw your no, third no, 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 you no. know. Yeah. I'm exactly. saying it's give them the chance. Goal. I think give them the chance. Yeah, especially especially with the par threes, like you're talking about and these water carrier ones, you do have the opportunity to save your par, but it's very difficult. Yeah. You need to pull out an incredible shot. You need to, what were you guys calling it on Facebook the other day? Like a green ace or something like a fairway <laughs> ace kind of thing. Like you need to do that. You need to be able to put it in the basket uh, on your technically now third shot. And so, yeah, for par threes, I think uh, certain situations, obviously every course is different. I think Maple Hill does, do their drop zones very well though. I will say that. I think every single drop zone at Maple Hill is a very well designed drop zone. You can look at a whole ones, whole threes, whole four doesn't have one, but a whole five. You could technically save your par. Whole eight, <laughs> you could save your par. On and on and on and on. Yeah. I, I think we've we've really done a pretty though. good job at this. But I do want to close out by saying, because I was yeah. laughing at what you just said, yeah. to, to give yeah. everybody this smile walking out. Like someone said, like, what is this technicality like fairway ace what is a fairway ace or like a black ace? they're like yeah. they're like what is this stuff they're like can i start calling my putts like a green ace like i'm hitting it from the green um and then i was like yeah. you know what i'm just gonna be like circle two ace you know or like you know circle one ace like instead yeah. of putting we'll just call them aces it's pretty good so all right i thought this was kind of funny actually uh, uh really quick actually yeah. shout out to zacharath johnson who aced, I think it was hole five at the Des Moines challenge, which also means it's the foundation hole that's elevated. Uh, because of that, I think $500 gets donated to charity. So shout out to the foundation guys for doing that foundation disc golf. And then uh, Zacharias Johnson for hitting that. And then also someone had posted about it and said two minus. And it was just funny because a hunter, uh, yeah, obviously your yeah. son hunter yeah. when he did that, the whole two minus. And, but then also really quick to kind of end it, uh, shout out to own Scoggins who apparently just put up a 1050 rated round at her tournament and i think she won it by like 20 strokes so shout out to own it was something we didn't get to talk to too much about but clearly that's an incredible round i don't need to see the course i don't need to even see the players who are at it she put up an absolutely incredible round and i can look at it just by looking at that number saying you know what she played well obviously she played extremely well that round so shout out to her
Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Nick, we have not done our longest episode. We still have another hour to go if we we're going to do that, but we have made it to the I'm end tired. of this show. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've made it to the end of the yeah, show. Yeah. Go check out at uh, foundationdiscgolf.com. Pick up Nick and Matt show hats if you like those. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also shirts there, different colors, um, different sizes. That's amazing. Different sizes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you can like this video, share this video, let somebody know, go over to iTunes, give us a review. Things like that really help us. We've, we continue to develop. We hope that you guys enjoyed bringing back the live version of Judge That Disc Golfer. We hope to bring back more segments, different segments here and there to uh, mm-hmm. just add that extra pizzazz. <laughs> to the show all right nick we've made it there you want to close it out cool yeah uh really quick just to kind of talk about what we were earlier matt and i our dms are always open especially at the nick and matt show on instagram our dms are always open if you are struggling with anything and want someone to talk to matt and i we are by no means any mental health experts or anything like that but matt and i would always be willing to talk to anyone who is going through anything in life at the moment i've so paid enough money you- i've paid enough money to a health expert yeah. that maybe i have some insight but yeah go uh, would be glad to support you at least and send you some love so exactly so tell someone you love them this week and we'll catch you in the next one nick you're awesome the nick and matt show a disc golf podcast designed for you the disc golfer Find the Nick and Matt show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.